monitoring tool of the National uh, Development Plan since 2012. Government has been implementing the plan. We further in, uh, invited Stats SA to account on, uh, to the committee about Census 2022 project in terms of successes and challenges encountered. With those few words, let me now introduce uh, the Deputy Minister Kekan to make her opening remarks before the presentations. With those few words, can I invite you, Honorable Minister, uh, Deputy Minister, sorry. Thank you very much, uh, Slalo. I'll be guided by you because with me is Statistician General and his team, as well as um, the NPC Secretary, and I think there are a few commissioners who are also joining us. So guided by you on the agenda, do we start with status A or do we go to the NPC start? We should start with status SA, uh, Honorable Minister, Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Chair, just a few remarks as I introduce the Statistician General, uh, Mr. Resinga, with his team. Um, South Africa undertook one of the biggest logistical operation this year, which we all know, uh, Census 2022, and it was led by uh, Statistics SA. And in that project, um, about 100,000 enumerators were employed to assist in counting a population of um, more than 60 million. And um, today, Chair, the SG will also use this opportunity to update the portfolio committee on the work done so far. But one of the things that the portfolio committee will also note is that almost eight provinces are done. We only have the Western Cape that still remains um, to be concluded towards the end of, of, of May. But the SG will also take you through on what uh, the teething problems were. And from where we're sitting, and I like the fact that Status A and NPC will be presenting today because the, the work and the scientific work that has been done by Status A helps us to have official information in as far as uh, our situation in South Africa is concerned, how do we plan? How do we do long-term planning informed by what is obtaining on the ground? So the work of the Status A helps us as government and as a nation to start to look at how do we do our long-term planning and then over that do the five-year plans that takes us
to the, the long term. So allow me, Chair, to invite uh, Mr. Singer and his team to lead and take the, the portfolio committee in confidence on progress made so far. Thank you. Thank you, DM. Uh, uh, the Statistician General can take the platform now. Thank you indeed, the chairperson, and let me thank uh, honorable members as well, and uh, 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 our deputy minister who is leading us as well this morning. Uh, let me thank her for um, always uh, providing that uh, uh, political uh, oversight and guidance uh, on the work of uh, Stats SA. And indeed, uh, let us look at the presentation. Uh, we are going to talk about the role players in terms of uh, the whole work of uh, the census. And uh, we are going to start with the president. Uh, when the census results are ready, the president will announce the release of the census results. I need to stress this chairperson that uh, uh, the president uh, does not uh, release the census results because the president doesn't have pre-sight. So even when the minister, and that applies also to the minister, when the minister and the state's council go and see the president to prepare for the release of census results, uh, council only talks about the veracity of the methods and uh, say that, uh, Mr. President, we are comfortable that the results, the statistician general may release the results. As I said, this applies to the minister who uh, uh, prioritizes the work program of uh, state SA on the advice of the statistician general and council and monitors the performance of the statistician general. And as regards methods, uh, the minister cannot interfere with the powers of the statistician general in the manner and time of a statistical collection, the form and extent and timing of the release of a, a statistical information. And uh, this has been upheld uh, from the beginning of uh, our democracy. And indeed, the statistician general as regards the census, causes a population census, but also determines the collection, compilation, and analysis of official statistics, the time and manner of statistical collections, the form, extent, and timing of statistical releases. Parliament, representative of the people of South Africa, has an oversight in the implementation of the imperatives and the priorities at Statistics Council. And I often hear that the, the Statistics Council of States say, this is the South African Statistics Council in line with the statistics law that the uh, uh, parliament has given us to implement or has given the statistician general implement. 
seems we have lost the statistician general. The system has kicked him out. Can you, whoever is responsible, can you try to bring him back? I think we should also ask him to close the video because um, um, his 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 network is also um, not not good. If he is back, I will be advised. Can you check that, uh, Mascoli? Uh, he is not bad, Chair. Uh, once he logs in, I'll accept him automatically, Chair. Thank you. All right. Thanks. These are the teething problems of virtual meetings. We, we shall bear with that because the reception is not good everywhere in the country. We shall bear with him. Sorry, Chair, this is Sheila de Klerk from StatsSI. The SG says that he's um, busy connecting. Um, I must just apologize for him, but he is connecting at this point. Thank you. Okay, we will wait for him to get in. Hello, SG. Yeah. SG, he's are not, you winning? He's not in as yet. He's not in as yet. Is there is there no one in the department who can who, who can uh, take his place? Good day, Chair. It's Ashwell Jenny Korea. Maybe I could go on with the presentation while we wait for the SG. I thought we do that in the interest of time. Thank you. Celia, put on slideshow, please. Thank you, Chair. SG has informed me he's moving offices um, to get the reception, but Ashwa can continue. Thank you. Just put on slideshow. 
Next slide, Celia. Thank you. Thank you. So this is the first digital census that we're conducting in South Africa. Um, and as you know, in our preparations and run up to the census, COVID had a major impact on how we do the census. So we have decided that we give people options in terms of how they can complete census. I mean, normally when you do a census, people don't really want us to come to the houses because they're scared of crime. And now with COVID, you've got an additional reason why people also don't really want us at the houses. So what we've done is we've allowed people to fill in online. And so that is called Kawi, so it's web interviewing. And to date, we've got more than 200,000 people who have done that. Then we've also allowed people to choose whether they want telephone, and we call that Kati. And we've got about 67,000 people that chose that form of, of collection. In terms of in-person interviewing, we've now just reached over 18,000, uh, 18 million questionnaires that's been completed uh, in person. And those are the three modes how we're collecting with our digital census. Next slide, Celia. So our count began on the, on the 2nd of February. And when we last met, we were discussing the issues around the count and how it is going. Next slide. So here, here you see the, the full run-up to the census. So we had census night uh, on the 2nd of February. And when we count people, we always ask them, where were you on census night? Because we want to have a snapshot of what's happening in the country. Uh, we ask people to register then and to do the, the, the online. At the time, it, the take-up wasn't as we thought it would, it would be. Um, we thought more people would choose the, the online, but we found there's, there's some bit of um, issues around people completing that. So on the 14th of February, we started face-to-face -face, uh, data collection. And then uh, at the end of the month, we extended um, up to now, we are only in the Western Cape extending up to the 31st of May. Um, and then the 1st of June, we'll do the post-enumeration survey. So the post-enumeration survey is done based on a 1% sample. So we go to 1% of all the dwellings in, in South Africa. And we then ask people whether they were counted in the census. And if you were counted or missed in the census, then we combine the results of the post-enumeration survey and the census data to give you a sense of the over or under count in the country. And we then finally adjust the final figures uh, to release the results in about 12 months from the, the time uh, when we complete collection. Next slide, Celia. So let's look at our progress to date. So as I said, the online interviewing wasn't as successful as, as we thought. About 459,000 people registered online, uh, but only about 33% of them completed the form. Um, 
So, so, so what we're showing now is that we, we've now got a direct Kaui link where you don't need to register. And we find that about 80% of the people who's using that is, 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 is successful in registering. Sometimes with the network issues around the country, you find that people start the process, uh, but they, they, they don't complete it. And to date, we've just got over 200,000 questionnaires completed online. And of these, more than 100,000 is in the Western Cape. We've had uh, an extensive push to get people in the Western Cape now to complete uh, online questionnaires. Then in, in terms of personal interviewing, going to houses, we have to date uh, visited about 18.2 uh, million households and those have all been counted. The data collection mop-up uh, has been completed in most of the provinces. It's only in the Western Cape that we're going to the 31st of May. And that is to make sure that everyone has got an opportunity to count it. And as I said, the computer-assisted telephone interviewing, only about 68,000 people chose that form and we phoned them to collect information from them. Next slide. Just to give you a sense of where we are in terms of performance to date. So all provinces that you see with the tick, they've closed down. And the only uh, process that's underway there is when people still ask to be counted. And then we give them the online link uh, because everyone who wants to be counted should be counted. In the Western Cape, 66% uh, yesterday. Today, we're standing on 67%. And 6% of the people in the Western Cape has completed via Kawi. That's online. So in total in the Western Cape, we are now standing in 73%. Uh, we're monitoring this every day. Me personally is also going to the Western Cape later today to make sure that we push as hard as we can, uh, both online and uh, uh, the people in the field who are still going to households in collective. Things have turned around in the Western Cape. Uh, we, we've had very good um, cooperation from the government there. Uh, where the premiers speak on the radio almost every day. And so we find that even farmers now are phoning us to say they want to be counted, whereas previously they would have chased enumerators away from their farm. So things are, are, are picking up in the Western Cape. Next slide, Celia. Okay, so what, 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 what were the issues that we were struggling with and why did the census take longer than, than we anticipated? We must remember that uh, this is the first time ever that we're conducting a census under COVID. And whereas censuses are normally very difficult to do. I mean, as the deputy minister said, you're talking about 100,000 people counting more than 60 million dwellings. And this in a country where people don't normally uh, and, and this is door to door. So you go to every door and you ask people. And, and as South Africans, we generally don't appreciate people coming, coming to our, our, our doors. So normally, I mean, the logistics involved in this is the biggest. I mean, the only other time when you deploy more logistics is when you are at war. So it's only Ukraine and Russia at the moment that would be more people in the field than ourselves. Having said that, when we, uh, when we started the process, 
we struggled. Uh, I mean, we normally we struggle to recruit, and some provinces are more difficult than others. But we struggled to get the hundred and fifty thousand uh, people that we need in the field. You needed about hundred and forty nine thousand people in total. We were hovering just over 85,000 at some stage during the collection. And then people were coming and people were going. It's very interesting. I mean, we had a million people registering on our database, but when we finally uh, wanted people to start working, it wasn't that, that, that easy. And, um, and, and so, especially in the Western Cape, for example, we, at, at, we needed 12,000 people in the Western Cape and the best we could do was 4,500 at any stage during this whole three to four months. Then we struggled with payments. I mean, payments uh, uh, payments has been tricky, um, but having said that, to date, we've made more than 260,000 payments. So we uh, take into account, we had about over 85,000 people who worked in three to five to three to four periods of time. And so some of them have multiple multiple payments. So 260,000 payments were made to date. But there were others who we couldn't pay. I mean, some of them, we, we struggle with people's bank accounts. Some, some of them just doesn't have bank accounts. I think you always hear about poverty and we know how, how many people are living in poverty. But until you really go to the poorest of the poor and you ask them to start working, then you realize how difficult it is. Because some of the people just do not have bank accounts. Some of the people, they, they think they've got bank accounts and they've opened the bank accounts. And when you pay the money into those bank accounts, you find that those are dormant and the money actually come back. Uh, other people, they give you wrong bank accounts of brothers, sisters and uncles uh, or businesses. And, and those doesn't work when you're paying through personal. There's checks and balances in place to make sure that you're not paying the wrong people people and, um, and, 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 and those money then just comes back to us. So we're still in the process of doing payments. Uh, Monday, there's another payment run. So we're currently collecting from all those people who we, don't, who we didn't pay up to date and we'll make sure that those uh, payments will go through. When we started off, we needed 5,000 cars um, to, 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 to do the operations. Uh, we've got uh, people called field operations officers, and each of them have got cars. And the reason why they've got cars is to go out and deliver our documents to the field workers to get information, to help sign contracts, and all the logistical arrangements are down there. We struggled tremendously to get cars. Uh, rental agencies sold their cars during COVID to try to make ends meet. And when we came and we, uh, and we said we needed 5,000 cars, many people tended and they say they have got the cars, but when you say deliver, you, you finally found that people are, are, are not up to it. Refusals and non-responses are a big thing um, until there was a big push from mayors and the premier in the Western Cape. We found that many of the farmers would chase our people away. Uh, many people bluntly refused. They said, my husband said, you shouldn't come in. And then uh, our enumerators are just turned away. And, and just remember, our enumerators are sort of matriculants that's unemployed. So when they get chased away, it's not like they could um, put up a strong argument for, for any other thing. So, so this has been a, a, a strong issue that resulted in us struggling to get data. We've now got a big push, uh, especially in the Western Cape, and we find that things have turned around. 
Next slide, Celia. Okay. In terms of employment, I've, I've mentioned that we, we wanted 149,000. We only got over 85,000. And this gives you a sense of the number of people that, you, that we get in the different uh, districts right around the, the country in terms of EAs that, um, that, that people applied in. So what you find is that in areas like, let's use the Western Cape, like Kailicha and Nyanga, you would find there's 6,000 people applying and then you, you only need about 200 people there. But in areas like um, Bishop's Court and um, now I'm running out of areas, uh, the well-off areas, the middle class and well-off areas in all suburbs around the country, you find people are not prepared for, to work for 264 four rand a day. Um, so you had a mismatch between where we want people and where applications came from. So, I mean, I mean if, you, if you now employ people where they don't stay, you've got a problem that you need to provide transport. And we didn't want to provide transport, so we wanted to employ people where they live, and then that initial uh, process is then cheaper. Eventually, we found this doesn't work because people are not applying where they live. And so we had to, as the process evolved over time and we went into the second phase, we had to put sweeping teams together where we move people from, from place to place. Thanks, Celia. Mentioned fleet shortages around the country. Um, so, so these were the vehicles required and, um, and that we got over time. Refusals and non-responses. So it shows you as we started up, the refusals initially was low. Um, and, and this is how the process works. So initially you get to those who are easily to count. In your rural areas, people don't generally refuse. In your informal settlements, people don't chase you away where you come to count. They want to be part of the process. They want to show you that you that they are lacking the, the resources that government needs to supply. But as you go on and you get into the middle class and your upper, your, your more richer people, you find that the refusals also pick up. Uh, so that's over time. Next slide, Celia. Let's talk about the post-enumeration survey. Okay. So in many countries, you conduct what we call the post-enumeration survey. So the, so the post-enumeration survey is a totally independent survey. Um, so we, we employ people independently. They, they're not part of the census at all. And they start as soon as the, as the census finish. And, and the reason for this is, and also if you can see their branding as well, go to the previous slide, Celia. So the census went around with, with the green, just one more back. And the PS will now come around and they will have orange shirts on. So it's a total different set of, of field workers. So as soon as they start on the 1st of June, we'll start the publicity campaign to inform people that now it's the PS coming around. Next slide, thank you. And so, so what we do is we go around we count 1% uh, of all the dwellings that's there. And then we, we, we adjust the data. I mean, and this is based on international back best practice. 
So we use uh, the, the UN guidelines on how we do it. So you would go to a house, you would fill in the questionnaire and you'll ask people, were you counted in the census? Were you not counted in the census? And you go to, to and you go one by one so that you can see whether you've actually missed the complete dwelling or whether you've missed people in the dwelling. And, and just to, 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 to mention, whereas census, we did online training, the people involved in the PS were trained in person. So, so we find that this is, is people that can go out and they, they would know much better how to do things. So, so the quality of the PS enumeration is many times better than the census enumeration because you want to make sure that, uh, that the checks and balances are there. And once we've completed with this, you now compare questionnaire by questionnaire what's in the census and what's in the, 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 the PS. So as soon as you are, are completed with the census, you now start with the process of editing whatever is done. You do data confrontation. Uh, you weight the, the data based on what the PES says, and then you do your report writing. And then you re we will release the data in about 12 months' time. Thanks, Celia. Okay, so let's talk about the role of the, role of the Statistics Council. Uh, of course, as is mentioned by the Statistician General, the, the, the Statistics Council is an independent body that advises both the Minister and the Statistician General on any issues related to quality. And this body consists of people right across government, the private sector, uh, NGOs, academia, <clears throat> And they are the oversight body for, 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 for statistics. And they look at the plans of the census and the methods that's involved. And they would also appoint their own independent experts. So if you think about this, we conduct the census. Then there's an independent PS that looks at the census. And then you've got the, the Statistics Council who appoints independent experts, uh, international experts, and they then look at the, the quality of the of the census, and they issue then a quality statement where they recommend to the minister that uh, the census should be uh, uh, adopted, or where there's issues, they will mention that in the quality statement. Next one, Celia. I think, Chair, at this stage, let me hand over to the Statistician General again, if he's back. Thank you. How do I switch on this? Chair, um, I was able to come back much earlier, uh, but I allowed Ashwell to continue presenting. Thanks, SG. I wanted to, to tell him that and that... Uh, We'll be ready for, for questions when the portfolio committee will be engaging on the report. Thank you very much, Ashwell. Thank you. Uh, honorable members, may I suggest in the interest of time that we get the, the second presentation, but before that, we allow the deputy minister to introduce that uh, presentation, and then we discuss those uh, uh, together. 
if, if, if my suggestion is welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, it's welcome. Well, okay. thank you very much. Thank you very much, honorable members. Uh, honorable Deputy Minister Kekane, uh, can I give you the floor now? Thank you very much and greetings to honorable members of the portfolio committee led by our chairperson, uh, commissioners from the National Planning Commission, our director general and officials from the NPC, the secretariat and the team from DPME that is with us here. So the first National Planning Commission was appointed in 20, uh, the first National Planning Commission appointed in 2010 was tasked with the responsibility chair to develop the National Development Plan. And this task was finalized and presented to cabinet and ultimately to parliament as a plan of the country in 2012. And after the adoption of the NDP, which is vision 2030, the next task was to then promote the plan across society and to ensure that the nation knows that there is a plan with aspirations to change the lives of the country. And the responsibility of the second National Planning Commission, which was then appointed from 2015 to 2021, was to be the first commission to promote and monitor the implementation of the NDP in the country. And this has been a challenging learning curve for the commission. And in 2014, cabinet agreed that the plan will be divided into five year chunks of implementation through the medium term strategic framework. And the first MTSF to implement the NDP was 2014 to 2019, aligned to the electoral mandate of the fifth administration of government. And the second MTSF was 2019 to 2024, aligned to the electoral mandate of the sixth administration. Now the second NPC has left us with a wealth of research for long-term planning. They conducted an NDP review in 2020 and submitted it to cabinet. They also submitted a handover report to the president and cabinet in 2021, mainly on the work of, on the work of uh, the commission but also providing recommendations on the implementation of the NDP going forward. I know there's a disruption, there's a subcabinet uh, committee and they are calling me now, but let me leave it because I can't. As long as it doesn't disrupt you, Chair. Now the NDP review and handover report forms the basis for the monitoring report of the NDP indicators from the second NPC. 
So they have indicated that the pace of implementation has been very slow, especially in the economic sector. Uh, so that's one of the things that I want the committee to also acknowledge. They also acknowledge successes observed in the social sector and challenges faced in building a capable state to play its developmental and transformational role. The National Planning Commission further noted that even the inroads for development, especially in the social sector, run a risk of reversal due to COVID-19. All the reports and research by the NPC are on the website and will continue to inform conversations in the third NPC, which has been put in place by our president for 2021 to 2026. The details on the progress made in implementing NDP to date are in the presentation that we are going to make today. Now the third NPC will build on the work of the second NPC to promote implementation of the NDP as a plan of the country, not just of government. It will work with state and non-state actors in monitoring implementation of the NDP. And the commission will work with all the sectors to produce annual performance dashboard using a goal tracker on the implementation of the NDP. And this work is done closely with the DPME because of its monitoring and evaluation role, as well as with status A because some of the scientific information on the state of affairs of the country comes from status A. We are now in 2022, Chair, having implemented the NDP for the past 10 years and remaining with eight years to 2030. We are at a midterm as far as the implementation of the MTSF of 2019 to 2024 is concerned. Now, the planning, uh, National Planning Commission will provide 10-year review report of the NDP and work with the DPME on midterm review of MTSF as an implementation framework of the NDP. And the presentation today is on indicators, progress by the second NPC. Now, my humble request, and this is what me and uh, guided by Minister Kungubele have also said, agreeing on the role that the, this NPC will be working on, the third NPC of 2021 to 2026, is that we also request that honorable members through your committee, how do we ensure that the NPC interfaces with parliament independently as they are. Let them come to parliament and parliament will be National Assembly and the NCOP. So that even when portfolio committees, they give you account of where we are, performance, why are they saying we're delivering slowly on certain things and so on so that you get an appreciation of the challenges 
that we are facing as a country, because this is a plan for the country. Take you in confidence as national, as, as parliament, so that even when you approve APPs, when you deal with the MTSF, you are able to say to departments, tell us in your APP, how do these things respond to what the NDP says? Because we want all the plans, APPs, MTSF, whatever will be presented to parliament for appropriation, to speak to the bigger plan of the country, including when you do oversight, because we are also doing monitoring and evaluation on our side, but you also as members of parliament are doing your oversight over the executive. From time to time, the NDP must form the basis of the engagement that parliament itself hold the executive accountable on where we are, how we are faring in as far as implementation of Vision 2030. So that's, that's the humble request you are making, Chair, and will be guided by you. And obviously that will also need engagement with WIPARI so that um, through you, the NPC can independently share with parliament on what is happening, the same as what the statistician general can do, share with the entire parliament on what is happening so that as we do our monitoring and evaluation, we're able to hold the executive um, to account on how all these appropriations work towards helping us to address issues of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. Thank you very much. And in these words, if you allow me, Chair, uh, Dr. Masiteng is here, who is um, the NPC Secretariat, will be presenting on behalf of the NPC. Thank you very much. Good morning, and thank you very much, DM. Uh, good morning to the honorable members, to the SG, to the DG, and to the commissioners of the National Planning Commission, as well as to the members of the NPC Secretariat here. Uh, this presentation, as the DM has introduced, is, is happening at the time where we take stock of the fact that uh, the NDP was adopted in 2012, and in 2014 to 19 was the first MTSF that had 14 outcomes. And in the sixth administration where we are 2019 to 24, we have the seven priorities and we have started to have the plans within the country that recover and try to uh, respond to the challenges of COVID like ERRP, the economy recovery and reconstruction plan. And we also have the responsibility to continuously um, respond to the current changes like the July unrest, as well as the current disasters that we see, as these are the shocks that will continuously disturb and hamper the progress towards implementation of the National Development Plan. The National uh, Development Plan review was done by the NPC in 2020, and we have also seen the review of the MTSF by DPME. 
As we do these reviews, they are meant to ensure that the country is able to continuously identify the priorities, the making sure that there is also trade-offs in terms of implementation as we move towards the remainder of 2024 and with the pathways to 2030. This is about continuously now pondering around the national development plan, implementation frameworks, improved and coordination mechanisms towards 2030. In terms of the reason why we need the long-term planning, it has been outlined in the revised uh, green paper for the National Planning Commission as it was published in 2010, that the country continues to need long-term perspective. The green paper indicates that to reduce poverty, to reduce extreme inequalities, to ensure that there's growth and development, to strengthen institutions and to build the nation and ensuring that there is a developmental state. These are all long-term projects. Therefore, within a single term of government, this cannot or may not be attained, but the monitoring that is done is to ensure that we are taking stock of how far and how well we are faring towards this long-term development programs projects of our country. The Green Paper also indicated that at the time, the critical hamper to the implementation of developmental agenda of the country is the lack of coherent long-term plan that had at the time observed to have weakened the ability to provide clear and consistent policies to mobilize all of society to, pro- to prioritize resources for allocation and to drive implementation. And I think the response was then the implementation and the launch of the National Development Plan as the first coherent long-term plan of the country. Additionally, the Green Paper had also observed that weaknesses in coordination of government have led to policy inconsistencies and poor service delivery. And as we we, we continuously learn, there are mechanisms, there are policy uh, programs like DDM that are meant to uh, avert these challenges. And we will continue to monitor how well the government is doing and how well the country is moving towards better coordination. So the critical questions that were asked when we did the NDP review in 2020 were about how has the NDP been implemented in the country? What has to change? What cost correction is required in areas where we have not been able or where we are not moving in the envisaged direction? But of importance, the country should always uh, ponder and want to understand what has been the impact that has been made when implementation happens. So moving from 2020, 2012 NDP and the two uh, MTSFs, we are going to be monitoring all this currently um, in place plans, including the national uh, strategic plan of the country, the annual plan that has just been developed to ensure that we ask one question, how are we doing towards dealing with reduction of poverty, unemployment and inequality? And how are we faring as we move towards 2020? And as we do those, we will continuously ask for us to implement better, what do we prioritize and what are the trade-offs? When we started the NDP review, the critical part that we moved from was that in 2010, there were the critical issues that were observed as the core challenges for development. And this way that 
by the time the NDP was launched, the observations were that there is too few drops, there is divided communities, there were corruption, there is a need to build a capable state. The observation was about the high disease burden across the population, poor education issues, as well as special divides amongst the people and amongst the the geographical spaces, as well as the economy, space economy. The issues of resource intensive economy was, was raised as a challenge, as well as the troubles and challenges of crumbling infrastructure. Now, we also looked at the external uh, internal factors that have also shaped or challenged the progress towards the development in our country. This includes um, that there is a multiplicity of plans that need to be integrated, the issue of globalization, and currently we are also dealing with the challenges of uh, global pandemics or shocks or challenges of, 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 of disasters. And this should always continue to give us the lessons for the future. We also looked at issues of multipolar world as China continues to emerge in terms of its power, but the issues of China and US fallout as global uh, global, uh, repercussions. And we continue also to even see the issues of Ukraine and, 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 and Russia today. So all these particular issues of multipolar world and, and, and war continue to affect or shape the manner in which South Africa continues to implement its development agenda. Of, important, of importance also is the issue of anti-global uh, tendencies or inward looking shifts, the issues of climate change that are starting to raise serious needs as emerging issues for development. Migration continues to be a challenge for the country and it still continues to shape and affect the manner in which development affect or, or, or gets implemented into in our country and effect, the effectiveness of the policies on the livelihoods of the people are also affected by things like migration. We have also seen the rising African economy and the whole issue that we continue to work towards which is about a continental uh, integration. And we also uh, identified that instability remains to be the challenges uh, that we have observed over time, especially around Mozambique and other African countries. The population growth that we have also been following and getting all the information from Statistics South Africa has also raised an issue around the demographic dividend which has got a challenge of high proportion of young people in the country that are unemployed. Had they been employed and and been contributing properly into the economy, they would be helping the country to reap the the, the fruits of a demographic dividend as they are a bulge and a bigger proportion of the population. Lastly, we have the issues of technological advances that are related to the emerging issues of 4IR, the opportunities that it brings, but also the challenges that it comes with, and the whole issue of digital divide that we see. The alignment of the work that we do in terms of the National Development Plan has also been based and born from the 
critical issue of making sure that we domesticate Agenda 2030, the SDGs, we domesticate the Agenda 2063, and all these are domesticated through the National Development Plan and all the strategies for implementation in the country. And what we'll continue to measure will be the action that comes with the implementation of all these plans in an integrated manner. We did some work with the national, uh, with the UNDP to look at the alignment of the NDP and the SDGs and Agenda 2063. What we have seen is that those goals that we have in the NDP are highly aligned to the seven um, aspirations of the Agenda 2063, which are critically about prosperity, peace, partnerships, uh, the, the, the planet, as well as the people for sustainable development in Africa. When we looked at the alignment, we observed that um, there, are, there is about 74% alignment between the SDGs and the NDP, where 57% um, percent of the SDG uh, targets are fully addressed in the NDP. But we have also seen that the alignment with the Agenda 2063 is at about 94.8%. This can also be attributable to the fact that, as we know, uh, the NDP was adopted in 2012, but the Agenda 2063 was also adopted a year after, and the SDGs were adopted in uh, about three years after the NDP. Therefore, what we have also seen is the understanding of these plans and having contributed towards them, and therefore the implementation of the NDP uh, has the ability, and when we measure the impact of the implementation of the NDP, that information should be able to give us the information of the impact that we are making towards Agenda 2063 and the SDGs. So alignment of the development agendas and the plans in the country have the national development plan at the heart, but we also have the regional uh, SADC plans. We also have the Agenda 2063. We also have Vision 2030 of the Sustainable Development Goals. This is external to what we do. Internally within the country is the ability for the national development plan to be translated into the medium-term strategic framework, which are the five-year chunks of the implementation of the NDP, but also this should be aligned to all the sector plans that are created across the country, across sectors, as well as across the different actors or social players for development in the country. At the provincial level, we have the five-year plans, the district growth development plans as the I and the IDPs all should be able to have a bearing on how, as we implement, we continue to meet and move towards the attainment of the goals of the NDP. The NDP approach to change based on the vicious cycle of development, its theory of change is mainly about building capabilities. This is about key to building capabilities of the people in the, in the country so that they are able to fend for themselves and to improve their own livelihoods. It is about uh, building the capability of the state so that the state can play a developmental and transformative role. It is also about building the capability of the economy so that when the economy is able to grow, the livelihoods of the people can change. We can see rising living standards through the increase in inclusive growth, increase in employment, social wage, as well as good quality public services. 
So all these interlinkages are critical for a better change in the lives of the people and making sure that when there is rising uh, incomes across the population, there is also broadening opportunities for all in the country and across society. At the heart of this um, paradigm shift that the NDP wants to achieve is that the country should have strong leadership across the board. The country should have an effective government to implement policies and programs for the livelihoods of the people to change. There should be active citizenry that even allows or warrants accountability of government on its implementation of the development agenda. Now, as we move to the three goals that the NDP wanted to attain, the three critical issues were to ensure that there is eradication of poverty, where in 2012, we knew that there was about 39% of the people that were living below the poverty line that was uh, constructed by Statistics South Africa at the time as the medium uh, or middle poverty line of 419 rent and to reduce the inequality measured through the policy intervention so that South Africa should be able to move towards prosperity and equality in the country, looking at the Gini coefficient at the time that was estimated at about 0.68, which is a high inequality level for the country. The country at the time envisaged that for this, South Africa has to grow the economy by about 5.4% per annum over the 20 years towards 2030. And it was also aspired and envisaged that the country should be able to create 11 million jobs. And then as we move into the next slide, then beyond these three NDP goals, challenges or the triple challenges for development, uh, how we have fed in terms of the different indicators. The first indicator that we have looked at has been how are we doing in terms of the reduction of poverty. When we started working, we, we, we realized that the poverty rate had improved significantly uh, as we approached 2011. But after 2011, there has been a stall or a regression in terms of the reduction in the levels of poverty. What we have seen is that those living below the lower bound poverty line decreased from 51% of the population in 2006 to about 364 in 2011, which was a good progress. But unfortunately that has increased again to 40% of the population when we measured it in 2016. The issue of social wage has played a, an important role, but the effects of COVID-19 of COVID have emphasized that it is more needed and should be able to play a more transformative and developmental role. As we see, the key is about raising employment, ensuring that there's stronger service delivery and that there should be a reduction in the cost of living across the people in the population. One of the critical issues that has also been observed has been the asset poverty that has continued to, to, to deepen and the critical attributes to that are the land distribution, low income housing, the debt registry system, and that too few people, few people have a pension and there is also high levels of indebtedness across the population in South Africa. Therefore, the issue of savings amongst the people can be one of the things that needs to be promoted. Looking at the global evidence, South Africa, uh, which is on that black line, 
is not seen to be doing very well or faring very well in terms of the reduction of poverty. Again, the reduction of inequality has been seen to be too slow in that manner we are at 0.68, and therefore the observation of the National Planning Commission is that South Africa remains uh, the most highly unequal society, and this is when it is measured in relation to money. The critical issue of wealth inequality continues where we still see about 5% of the wealth in the country in the bottom 40% of the population. And therefore that is the population that would be sitting in what we call real and serious poverty that needs attention when we want to make a change or move the needle in terms of reduction of poverty across the country. And the most significant difference in South Africa is that the middle class or those that are in the deciles five to nine have also a very small asset base. And this will have significant impact as we look into the pathways for the intergenerational class mobility in terms of dealing with inequality. The third indicator that we looked at is employment that shows that um, the employment has grown over the years but does not meet the target and immediately we can also observe that there is a challenge that we will not meet the uh, envisaged uh, levels of, 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 of employment uh, to reduce the levels of unemployment. There has been 2.5 million jobs that have been created between 2010 and 2019. While there has been that increase in the number of people who are employed, there are also critical issues that arise. The employment shortfall was at about 1.5 million, which then stood at about 60% of the target. The falling employment was observed within manufacturing that lost about 313,000 jobs. And the share of small firms to a total employment in the country has uh, declined from 64% to 55% between the year 2008 and 2015. And there has not been a serious growth in the absolute numbers in the share of small of small firms. We have also seen a serious stagnation or even increase in the number of, of, of young people in the country that have been unemployed. We have also observed that COVID-19 is even making it harder for the country to move in terms of dealing with unemployment in the country. In terms of the economy, we have also made an observation that the growth of the economy in the country has continuously been slow and the capacity of the economy to be able to change the lives of the people or for the incomes to to rise in the households or across the population has also declined. And the issue of the population growth that is higher than the growth of the economy uh, is also posing a challenge that we will continue to move towards being poorer than fighting employment and fighting poverty and reducing the levels of poverty and inequality. The other part that we have seen here was also that the other countries have also been seen to be moving at a higher level in terms of dealing with the issues of um, unemployment, but also the issues of GDP per capita at a constant uh, value have also shown that South Africa is faring very low over the years when we look at the trend between 1960 and uh, 2018. Now, 
the, 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 the critical issues that are being raised, raised by the NPC on the economy are that the pattern of the economic growth does not generate the jobs and the livelihood opportunities are not at the required scale to overcome unemployment and poverty. Then they raise the critical issues of deep structural challenges. This includes high levels of concentrations across many sectors, barriers of entry for the small and medium enterprises, the decline in manufacturing, the critical issue of misalignment between skills and the demand and the supply, and then the highly polarized raise a serious issue of uh, internet. On building human capabilities, the first issue that they looked at was the demographics that indicated that the population was meant to grow at or to 58.8 million by 2030, but the country has uh, been able to estimate that we are already at 62. 60.2 million, and this will have issues and implications for meeting the development targets, but also a serious issue for the youth development. Critical issues were around life expectancy, which is envisaged at, 30, at 70 years, but we have seen it to drop by 3.5 years in 2021. We have also seen the critical issues of, of, of social protection that need to continue to improve. Oh uh, okay. The other issues that we we have seen um, on education that has seen a serious. Uh, inroads in terms of access to education. Attainment of education has also improved, but the issue of quality of education remains to be improved as well as the issue of infrastructure. But we have also seen the number of black university students tripling, uh, growing numbers in the uh, universities as well as TVET enrollments that have doubled over the period 2015 to 2017, uh, leaving us with about 737,000 students. Critical issues that have been uh, raised in the issue of space economy and national housing subsidy uh, remain to be about most affordable land and critical issues of the increasing number of human settlements and informal dwellings and the increasing demand for the infrastructure. The Capabilities area also has seen that the rollout of social protection has seen and made inroads, especially for the poor and vulnerable citizens and communities. This has been supported, yes, by the fiscal support policy through the, for example, social grants, delivery of basic services, health and education. But an observation is that many of the poor households in the country continue not to benefit from full range of available funded provisions. Uh, the last part that we looked at was building a capable ethical and developmental state. And on this pillar, the NDP had envisaged that the state should be capable 
and should be able to be transformative and should play a developmental role. It should also be able to grow the economy. It should also be able to deliver the services. This should also be done in a well-coordinated and functional public institutions should be built and created. And we should also continuously strive for a capable ethical professional public servants within the public or within the state. The current challenges that have been identified in building the capability of the, of, of the state has been the unstable political administrative interface, the lack of coordination, unchecked culture of silos, fragmented planning, high levels of corruption, as well as the issues that have been observed within the JCPS. And this include inadequate visible policing, court backlogs, as well as the lack of capacity within the sector. Further to the challenges that have been observed are the special social uh, economic uh, differences or injustice, which is also mainly related to the legacy of the past. The high levels of crime, segregation in terms of divisions along race, class, gender, ethnicity, as well as the challenges of social cohesion, then the lack of trust in government, and then the absence of active citizenry across uh, implementation of the NDP. The progress that has been clearly identified is that the government has uh, appointed the head of the public service. There is work that has been done on the implementation framework for the professionalization of the public service, the DDM or the district development model as a coordinating model to deal with fragmentation in planning is currently underway and we will continue to monitor it. But also there is a sense and work that has been done to stabilize SOE governance and continue to fight corruption. Then the comments and the recommendations that the NPC has made in terms of NDP implementation towards 2030, this has been informed by the issues that were also raised by cabinet on the review, where we then move, we need to move to say, so what? How do we engage with prioritization? And based on this work on the NDP review, we will continue to measure and uh, make, make proposals for implementation for the next eight years to 2030. The commission has framed these proposals in an NDP framework for implementation. And we can discuss this when the document has been finalized on the pathways that the commission starts to raise as high level action oriented approach towards 2030. Now on the, 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 the why and what needs to be done, the, the, the work is that the commission is recommending to the economy or the economic sector of the country that in the long term, the country should strengthen foundations of economic development and it should address the following issues. Change of ownership, uh, implementation of transformative policies, dealing with the issue of the land and expanding uh, the in, in, infra infrastructure, especially in the agriculture, but dealing with the issues of tenure security as well as extension services. The issues of economic concentration uh, reduction, the regulatory burden for SMMEs and providing access to finance remain important. The country should start to move decisively towards industrialization and economic diversification. The country should attend to the skill shortages and mismatch and strengthens, strengthen education and training sector. 
There should also be um, attention to the issues of infrastructure backlogs, especially in the water, energy and transport, and strengthening of the state and SOE capabilities and capacity for the SOEs to be able to play their developmental role in the country. The country should attend more uh, and decisively on the matters and issues of climate change and ensure that there is just transition to a low carbon uh, economy by 2050 in the country. And the ERRP continues to be a basis to develop a broad social compact in the economy. In the short term, the country should continue to look at the implementation of ERRP to revitalize economic recovery. And this should be through restoring confidence in the budget processes and the commitment to fiscal framework, dealing with electricity constraint and spectrum allocation, dealing with the implementation of township and rural support program. The country should continue to elevate, improve and and enhance the local economic development initiative and ensure that there is a reduction in regulatory burden and increase in the financial support, especially for small businesses. Then the country should continue to ensure that there is implementation and support to the public employment programs and the country to grow the economy. It should also revitalize the tourism industry and focus and enhance the issues of trade and investment within the region, within the country, but yes, also within the continent. Moving into what needs to be done better in the building of capabilities and improving the quality of life, critical issues are social protection, education, and health. On health, we should ensure that we implement NHI. We should encourage that we continue to fight the COVID and reduce the burden of disease. And one of the critical issues that should continue to take priority is building ideal clinics in the health sector. The education sector should also continue to improve uh, accountability to ensure better education outcomes. This can also be attributed to ensuring that there is effective leadership and management. The country should um, accelerate implementation of ECD policy, especially in in, in terms of the first thousand days of, of, of the livelihoods of the children in the country. There should be a strengthened transition of students from low, from low and, in, and, and middle income communities from school through PSET into work and ensuring that there's improvement in the contribution of the TVET, TVET system to the skills base of the economy. In terms of social protection, there should be an integrated and strengthened social protection floor that consolidates all the elements of the social wage. And this should be able to enable opportunities in the country for further development. Uh, Specifically, the country should start to implement and start to think more on the trade-offs of what should inform and what should be in the basic income grant as it is supposed to be able to help those who are in the ages of 15, 18 to 59 years. And these are the people that constitute about 33 million of the population, of which we have also observed that 7.3 of them, 7.3 million of them are not economically active. And these are the people that live in extreme poverty. In terms of building the capability of the state, the critical issues that should be dealt with is ensuring that we deal with the political administrative interface, 
dealing with anti-corruption strategy, implementing the integrated crime and violence prevention strategy, and making sure that there is demilitarization of the police services. The issues of chapter eight or the issues of human settlement, the country should implement DTM. There should be a cohesive national spatial framework in the implementation of what we know as the NSDF moving forward. The country should continue to address spatial inequality and the challenges of the past and should be able to create better quality public transport and ensure that jobs are created uh, more and closer to where people stay. And there should be also urban township uh, attention. There should also be a deliberate action towards improving active citizenry, rallying the population, the rest of the country behind the implementation of the plan as the plan of society, but also reinvigorating the ability to ensure that social cohesion um, initiatives are taken into cognizance to unite and to continue to build the nation. And of importance, the country should continue to work towards building trust between the state and citizenry. As we move to what would be the requirements for better implementation of the NDP, the key principles and requisites are that the successful implementation of the NDP depends on availability of resources, recognizing the prevailing constrained fiscal space, but the country should continue to make trade-offs. The country should make it a point that we prioritize and are decisive in what needs to be done and not deal with everything at the same time. The other um, requirements that the country needs to, to attend to when they implement the national development is that it should be implemented in partnership co-ownership and in collaboration. It should be a whole of government and a whole of society approach. There should be prioritization of importance. Lastly, the country should continue to strengthen monitoring and evaluation for the measurement of progress made on the implementation of the NDP. But ultimately, as we build a capable state, there should be stronger leadership. Uh, when the NDP was, 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 was reviewed, some of the critical issues that were identified as the challenges for implementation was that uh, the NDP did not fully materialize in terms of the prerequisite that we thought should have taken off. The focused leadership towards NDP, NDP being implemented as a plan for all, not just a plan of government, the institutional capability for the country to implement the plan, resource mobilization for the country for sustainable development, agreement on trade of social compact on how to tackle poverty, unemployment and inequality remain to be the critical issues to deal with. But importantly, to translate policy and high level aspirations was also a critical issue that was seen as a challenge. This requires robust monitoring, it requires monitoring and measurement tools, it requires standard and uniform consistent indicators. And lastly, the implementation was also challenged by the institutional instability in the country, political administrative interface challenges, coordinating weakness, coordination weaknesses, as well as the levels of corruption. So these are the critical issues that need to be focused upon as we move forward to improve implementation of the National Development Plan. Moving forward, the method that we put into place is that the National Plan 
should be able to work with everybody, all sectors, all non-state and state um, actors in a joined up government approach, working also in terms of all social partners to collectively measure NDP, but not only to measure, all partners should be able to start to say what has been my contribution towards the implementation of the NDP and what impact has my sector or my social environment uh, contributing. And therefore, as the collective in the with the department at the center of government, we will continue to create a monitoring mechanism that should be able to make us understand the progress that being that has been made in terms of indi- indicators from input, output, and outcomes, and ultimately how we measure the impacts. So in conclusion, I think this is the statement that the DM has made, that there has been slow progress up to now, and therefore I think the critical issue that needs to happen is to take some of those advices that the National Planning Commission have created and provided to move better into the implementation. South Africa has also been affected by COVID-19, uh, social protection and social wage have played their part, but they become more critical now as the structural challenges of poverty have been borne bare when we start to see all the issues of the structural disasters, the shocks, as well as the pandemic that we are dealing with. The progress that has been achieved on some of the health educational indicators and services will also uh, run the risk of being uh, reversed especially when the country continues to face the shocks that it is facing. Then ultimately the advice to to the country from the second NPC is that the overall priority for the country is to continue to strive and to fight to accelerate economic recovery and reconstruction. And to this end, there should also be focused attention on the role and capacity of the state to implement. And there should be deepening a specific policy interventions and levers that are about developmental priorities. And this should be able to be informed by what has been aspired in the National Development Plan. The NPC will continue to assist, to promote and to measure the implementation of the NDP between 2022 to 2030. There should be detailed planning that is based on uh, proposals from the National Planning Commission uh, taken into cognizance in the current MTSF, but further on in all the plans as we move forward, including the other sector plans. In this year, we will conduct the 10-year review on the implementation of the NDP since 2012, building on all this work that we have just presented, but also starting to make sure that we crowd in the performance of all the other uh, social uh, partners and see how we measure how everybody has fed in the implementation of the NDP. And all the lessons that will come from this 10-year review will go to the next MTSF, but also to inform better implementation towards uh, NDP in 20, by 2030 in the remaining eight years. Gallagher. Thank you. Uh... DM is is that the last uh, presentation we have from the day? Yes, Clara, thank you very much. Those are okay. the two presentations to the portfolio committee. Okay, thank you very much, honourable members. We we now open discussions on both presentation. Members will show hands up in the platform.
those who want to make a contribution. I can see Honorable Kibi, Honorable Nduli, Honorable Mbele, Honorable Meglua, Honorable Mutipe, Honorable Gondwe, Honorable Malomane, Honorable Komani, in that order. Honorable Kibi, take the floor. Hey, thank you, thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, good morning, Chair, good morning, uh, Honorable Members and colleagues. Uh, Chairperson, uh, allow me to welcome and appreciate the presentations uh, from UTPME and States SA. Uh, although, Chair, I have a few questions uh, to ask. Let me uh, start with who uh, states SA. Uh, Honorable Chair, my first question would be, how did uh, the fleet shortages uh, relate to COVID-19 when all heavy restrictions <clears throat> were lifted and the state of emergency being abolished? And uh, what contributed to the citizens of the Western Cape being not too keen to fruitfully use any of the digitized uh, methods to be counted. Being an urbanized province, is the map up a campaign helping? <clears throat> Honorable Chair, I also heard the presenter uh, mentioning that uh, in some areas, after sending a, a lot of uh, their staff to go and do it physically or door to door, uh, some of them were chased away from the houses. Uh, what can be the, the problem uh, of the people that uh, in the Western Cape who decided just to chase people away or refuse to be uh, counted? Those are my questions to say. <clears throat> On DPME, Honorable Chair, the department has received the medium-term strategic framework due to the impact of COVID-19 pandemic. Was there any analysis done to determine which targets need to be reviewed prior consideration review of the MTEF 2019-2024? What were the critical targets encapsulated encapsulated in the original MTSF 2019-2024, which were mainly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and necessitating the review of the plan of action. On slide five, Honorable Chair, the department mentioned that witnesses in coordination of uh, government have led to policy uh, inconsistencies and poor service delivery outcomes. <clears throat> My question is therefore, what kind of interventions have the department put in place to address such weaknesses of lack of better coordination? Will the integrated planning 
a framework bill address such weaknesses? How can the legislation once enacted enforce coordination in government? The other one is what is lacking in the implementation of the national development plan. Does the state have a requisite capacity to deliver on the mandate of the NDP? With the current capacity in the state honorable chair, will government be able to meet the targets of NDP 2030 vision? What led community not uh, trusting government to an extent that it remains below 50%. What can be done to regain the trust of the communities? Uh, based on slide 15, Honorable Chair, regarding income uh, poverty, people living below the uh, lower bound poverty line decreased from 51% in 2006 to 36.4% in 2011, increasing to 40% in 2016. What is the current situation now, Honorable Chair, taking into consideration interventions government put in place, such as introduction of social relief distress grant? Those are my questions, and I thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable uh, Kibi. Can I now invite Honorable Nduli? Thank you, Chairperson. Um, greetings to, to, to the meeting. And um, all protocol is observed. Uh, Chair, I would love to join my colleague, uh, Honorable Kibi, in welcoming the presentations tabled by both State SA and the uh, NPC. Chair Honorable Kibi has covered me in some of the questions. But firstly, Chairperson, I would love to applaud SSA for the work done under difficult conditions of COVID-19. But uh, also want to pose a question as to what was uh, the experience in the form of nodes, modes used for counting what uh, do they really envisage using in future? Whether different modes of counting for different areas or one mode. Two, uh, uh, Chair, Western Cape uh, is still Western Cape is still behind. 
what lessons are learned in this regard and what would be their turnaround strategy for future? Was uh, their recruitment uh, given efficient time? Hence, you, you heard that uh, they had aimed to get quite a sizable number to work in, in, in Western Cape, but uh, only to find that uh, they ended up using uh, just a, a, a smaller number instead. Chair, in terms of payments, in terms of payments, Chair, and the bank accounts, this spells out unemployment at its par. Now, how can this be overcome in future to fast track payments? Because uh, after the work, everyone is expecting the payment and not um, maybe looking as to whose fault is this. How can the, how can SSA prepare fully on such issues having uh, experienced this? Um, Chairperson, can SSA cite the challenges experienced in terms of network uh, during this uh, process in, in rural uh, areas? That, that's all for SSA. Uh, for the Planning Commission, uh, NDP is still work in progress, and as of now, we have observed its ups and downs due to climate change um, in the form of disasters, uh, pandemics, uh, etc. Now, can the commission uh, tell us as to what they envisaged planning moving forward under such conditions. Another one is that uh, three country apex priorities has uh, responded badly with the absolute decline in terms of the, 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 the planning of the country your unemployment uh, instead uh, um, um, increased the diseases um, left, right, and center, deaths increases. So what a strategy have they devised uh, to, to encounter this? And no, no more theory 
and mount service. Practically, what is it that can be done to encounter this? For instance, uh, you've got your NHI that has been uh, forever in the pipeline. And yet the diseases are increasing. So, so, so my belief is that uh, the commission is in a better position to, to advise uh, uh, the country and to, have, to advise government uh, in this regard. Another one is, uh, is NDP reviewer yielding any fruits or do you see any light at the end of the tunnel uh, in your view? Uh, we've been, uh, um, I mean, as a country, we are st- we are a developing country, and we are a very young uh, uh, in terms of 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 of, of freedom. But one is much taken about the strategies and the plans of the country. And of which is clear, of which is clear that uh, some of them are not really yielding a the fruits that are expected. Now, is the NTP reviewer yielding any fruits in this regard? The other one is, in their view, they've mentioned the problems of migration. In their view, Will free bordering of Africa seize the challenges? And um, another one is chair, as the planning commission, hence we are in the middle of the SDGs. What lessons were learned? Uh, for having not achieved uh, the MDGs holistically, have they compared the MDGs vis-a-vis the SDGs moving forward? In terms of the economy, the decline of the manufacturing, of course, led to lots of uh, job losses. Now, is the country penetrating in agriculture 
and how can you how can young uh, people be pushed towards agricultural programs of which may be creating more jobs in future um with the look of things that uh, agriculture can be our main uh, economical uh, 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 spin-offs. How can then it be made be it be made uh, attractive to young people and not them um, depending? on things that are not easy to find. Because if you talk of agriculture, the land for farming might be not enough, but it's there. Thank you. I now invite Honorable Mpele. Uh, thank you, uh, Chairperson, uh, and good morning. Um, my questions will be uh, focused on the Stats SA presentation, um, given how, how crucial the census project has been in the public mind. And, you know, while one can understand some of the challenges and obstacles that were faced in the implementation of the census process, Ultimately, it does remain a big, big problem that a national project as important as this one has faced so many glitches and been hobbled by so many delays on an ongoing basis, and especially in the Western Cape, as reported, because ultimately, you know, this will have implications on whether funding allocation to provinces is accurate and proportionate and obviously whether planning for service delivery and uh, development of infrastructure will meet or match realities on the ground. So my first question um, on the CAWI is that the, the, the online census form initially gave problems in terms of functionality. And I encountered that when I tried to, to do the, the, the online form early on. And that was either with the link itself not working or the site was kicking people off and therefore they weren't able to complete it. So the question on that is what exactly were the technical problems with the online portal during that period? I know it's been resolved now, but those initial problems were likely the reason for the gap between initial registrations, but then only 33% of that translating into completed forms. Secondly, uh, why did it take so long for the problems with the Western Cape counts to be detected and acted on to correct for that? Uh, and in particular, was the project management team aware of the problems with, for example, access to households early on and monitoring on, an, on a continuous basis in order to make corrective interventions? And one example I thought of as an example was, you know, did census workers have a pamphlet that they could leave at households that they couldn't access that says, 
we were here for the census and we'd like to return. Here is a telephone number you can please call to arrange another in-person or telephone interview so we could follow up with you. Um, my third question is around the recruitment, which is what, what exactly were the recruitment marketing methods that were used to cast as wide a net as possible in order to try reach the target numbers for census workers? For example, did we have a big push through provincial and local governments, department offices, and service outlets like clinics and post offices. Um, and although it's not an ideal situation to have worked with, surely there could or should have been some anticipation that recruitment numbers would be lower in middle, middle class and wealthy areas in terms of local applicants. And therefore it should have been preempted to plan that volunteers from other areas would have to be brought in. Finally, Chair, my question uh, concerning the refusal and non-response uh, difficulties encountered, what precisely will be this enhanced advocacy campaign to be implemented with the next census in order to preempt those difficulties and make sure that we have a smoother process with the next census? Thank you, Chair. Honorable McClure. Thank you so much, uh, Chairperson. Chairperson, I actually don't know why, where to start, but uh, most of my, my questions and also my interrogation will be for States SA because all eyes is on States SA. But at least I, I would think we should do as a committee or rather myself as an individual is, is, is to condemn states as uh, We can't do that simply because we need those numbers. In, in, the, in the past, you know, it was excitement to be counted in when it comes to uh, the census part, part of it. We also don't want uh, a situation where any of the nine provinces may challenge the outcome or the results of States SA, as my colleague has mentioned. But also, Honorable Kibi has mentioned a very important thing, and, and this, that is the trust deficit. Now, it should have been an opportune moment for DPME, also while the two entities are in one meeting as we are speaking, it should have been an opportune moment, moment for them to, to explain to us their role because they are critical when it comes to, 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 to performance and monitoring. And maybe I should put a question to DPME to ask in terms of the performance and monitoring of head of departments, what role did they have to play in all of this? Uh, because these, these problems would have been seen long ago. So the TARAS deficit also links to another department which is in the presidency, and that is Brand South, South Africa. So to build some kind of a confidence and also active citizenship within uh, our communities. 
Now, Chair, in terms of meetings with leadership of provincial departments within, let's take, for instance, the Western Cape, because I've seen from the mayor in the Western Cape, I've seen uh, some kind of uh, advertisement, and I've seen some advertisement from the premier. Uh, uh, was there any meetings? What was the outcome? The, the, the presentation also have it that there was an advisory uh, committee. Didn't they see these problems forthcoming? Uh, was there any meetings held? Because at the end of the day, advisory committee members, they also, I think, I get it, they receive stipends uh, or remuneration. So was there any appetite or, or, or something from the advisory committee to, to advise the minister to speak to this? Now, what is very saddening in this whole presentation of SA, S, uh, States SA is that no one is taking ownership. At the end of the day, when it comes to census, States SA should have taken ownership of this. Irrespective of the obstacles, doesn't matter what problems there are, there are, at the end of the day, they must come up with resolutions on how best are they going to resolve this. Now, the extent of uh, extension of, 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 of mop-up is a result of low responses. But let me, let me ask this question. I was so shocked. Being around in the Western Cape, learned that we have also deployed for what has happened, people from Limpopo in, in, in the Western Cape. So I would like us also to respond uh, uh, whether there's an element of truth where the people of Limpopo has been deployed during uh, this time when this crisis actually occurred. Now I'm coming from the Northwest province. Now in the Northwest province, uh, uh, you have a place called the Kosh area, Clarksdorf. The whole of the Kosh area, you can drive around, speak to people. They have not been paid. Clarksdorf, Orkney, Stillfontein, and Ardebeersfontein. And I am so delighted to hear that there is some uh, 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 band running tonight. So I also want to know, should I take courtesy to inform the people in the Kosh area in Northwest Clarksdorf that listen, your money is forthcoming. Because what I sense also, there should or might have been some sort of a slow strike because people were not being paid. Another grisly reminder for me is the question of payment. Now, how can people bring wrong accounts? If people are employed, they bring a copy of the ID, a copy of a bank statement showing their numbers at L. So, yeah, we deal with actually sound challenges when it comes to, 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 to management. And I think to a greater extent, if it is that's SA that has failed us, they should take ownership, they should apologize, and they should be kept responsible of what has transpired in all of these challenges that we had. Not the, 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 the Western Cape is much more for lack of a better example, urban. So what, what, what does it tell us? Online uh, 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 should have been uh, actually a better option than visiting people. Uh, another member has spoken to the fact that we also had uh, the state of, 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 of emergency lifted. And on the other hand, COVID impact, the impact of COVID and all of these. 
I understand, and I must say, I was also a victim of of of, of renting cars, uh, 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 and been told the same that has been presented in terms of of vehicles that has been uh, uh, sold uh, uh, by these companies. But I think, for heaven's sake, chair, something should have been done to 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 get us out of this misery. And 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 in terms of the responsibility, in terms of the monitoring, it I'm so inquisitive to know. What role has DPME played when it comes to the challenges that states SA had? Thank you, Chair. I now invite Honorable Mutsipe. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. And then I would also like to welcome the, present- the presentation that was made today. I've got uh, questions uh, related to Stats SA. Uh, because on the Stats SA, uh, there was online interviewing, people were applying online. And then they were, according to the report that was brought to us, it was that uh, some of the applicants were not successful due to a network problem. So I'm saying that because uh, you do see that there were a problem of completing the completing the 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 the, appli- the application online. Were you going back to those people who were failed to apply, or what was the what have you done, or you left those people the way they were because you are the one who see that. These people were applying, but due to network problem, they couldn't be successful. So I want to know what have you done in order to reach those people that they didn't complete their application due due to network problems. And then the other one is Western Cape, not yet done on the process of census. It did not follow. I did not follow really the reason why uh, Western Cape did not finalizing the census with the other provinces. What was the reason for them not to finalize being ex- giving extension f- until the 30th, 31st of March? May you please give the, the reason for that? And then the, the last one is what was the reason for dropouts and resignation of the field workers? May you please elaborate on details because this is a very much important challenge because when we talk about census, we rely on the field workers in order to bring proper, effective, efficient, reliable, and accurate data. So may you also give us the reason why there were so dropouts and uh, uh, drop out of the field workers. What was the reason for that? I thank you. I now invite Honorable Gondwe. Good morning, Chairperson. Good morning, colleagues. And good morning to the DM and all the officials that are on this virtual platform. Um, Chairperson, I have a number of questions uh, for uh, Stats SA and the National Planning Commission. Um, the first set of questions um, are for Stats SA. Um, um, 
not to sound like I'm harping on the issue of the Western Cape, but I also want to understand what the challenges were, um, you know, during this particular count and whether they had experienced similar ch challenges in the previous, um, you know, in the preceding or the previous count. Um, because I take the point that, you know, we had the pandemic and that poses a, you know, a new challenge, but, you know, the challenge around having access to farms and farmers not giving them access, I, I, I don't think that can possibly be a new challenge or a renewed challenge, if you want to put it that way. So I want to get an idea of exactly, you know, what, what has been the challenge with this particular province. And... Um, I see now that they've extended the closing date for the count to the end of May. And I, and I wondered whether they would have achieved or attained the desired count by the end of May. And, and, and I want to, you know, uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that now, you know, they, they, they are sitting at 76% at in terms of the count. Um, but I assume that they still have, have a, you know, a, a way to go and, and it isn't much time. So I'm, I'm a bit concerned by you know, come the end of May, will they have, you know, achieved the desired uh, count in this regard? And then um, going back, you know, to the issue of the challenges, you know, they state that in some provinces, they experience high um, rates of, of, of refusal and, and, and you know, non-responsiveness um, in, in relation to the count. And I'm wondering why this was the case in some provinces, yet it wasn't the case in other provinces. Um, and is it because the campaigns in, in the provinces where they experienced these challenges weren't rigorous enough? And, 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 and I wanted to just find out if, if these campaigns are conducted with the help of the provincial and the local government in those provinces, because it, 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 it just doesn't make sense that, you know, it, it, it's having challenges in one particular province. So I'm trying to determine where exactly were the bottlenecks in this regard? What exactly was the problem? Was there not enough campaigning? Um, you know, what exactly happened? And as I indicated, some of the challenges really, I think they, they, they obviously with every uh, account that they do, you know, there are lessons to be learned. And I'm wondering whether they didn't take any of these lessons learned in the previous count into account in the current count, especially, um, you know, a, a challenge like having access to farms and stuff. I mean, uh, this is something that is well known that you have farms on the Western Cape and, and I just find it very strange that, you know, they would be experiencing a challenge of accessing these, these farms. And then um, coming to the National Planning Commission chairperson. Um, phew, um, I'm worried about, about, about the NDP. And I often wonder if we, in adopting, you know, the NDP as our blueprint, you know, uh, as a country, as our developmental blueprint and, and, and as, as, as one of the, you know, the, the tools that we'll be using to, to, to overcome some of the challenges that we're experiencing as, as a country, whether we, we bit off more than we could chew. And um, we are eight years from 20, uh, 2030. And I, and, I, and I want to find out whether there's room for us as a country, uh, given the eight years that we have left to achieve some of this outstanding, um, you know, NDP goals that we've not been able to achieve. And I take the point again that we've um, encountered some challenges that we, we, we really didn't, you know, factor in, such as, you know, the pandemic and possibly the unrest that we've been experiencing and the fact that our economy wouldn't grow as much as we would like it to grow. But I, I, I wonder whether, you know, they still hope for us as a country to actually achieve some of those um, 
um, you know, goals. And then towards the end of the presentation, they indicate that they'll be using 159 indicators to monitor the progress made in terms of the implementation of the MDP. Um, and I wanted to find out prior to, you know, the conceptualization or the formulation of these 159 indicators, how was the NPC um, monitoring the NDP? Was it monitoring the NDP? Um, um, and I want to find out, um, you know, what tool it was using to monitor the, the, you know, the NDP up until, you know, the formulation of these 159 indicators, which I assume are, are you know, are part and parcel of, of the tool that they put together to be able to help them, um, you know, uh, uh, monitor the NDP. And then um, I want to also find out what informed, you know, the conceptualization or the formulation of these 159 tools. Um, I mean, indicators that they've come up with. Are these indicators linked to, um, you know, some of the objectives of the NDP? I just want to understand how they came about, um, you know, um, uh, you know, conceptualizing these 159 tools and also understand what had been happening in the past um, I think close to 10 years around the monitoring of the NDP. Why are we only coming up with these tools uh, now? How have we been um, you know, uh, measuring the implementation of, of the NDP up until now? Thank you so much, Chairperson. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Malomane. Thanks to our colleagues to the DM and our visitors. Shall let me also take this opportunity and welcome the presentation from DPME on the NDP and Stats SA. Chair, uh, can I switch off my video? I've got a little bit challenge of the network. Yeah, you can do that, Honorable Maloma. Thank you, Chair. Chairperson. Let me welcome the presentation from DPME on the NTP and Stats SA. On Stats SA chair, let me just welcome because this I can see is the working on, is the work on progress that is not the full report because I can see that the full report they're saying it will be finalized maybe after, is it after 12 months after the finished collecting the data. So I just wanted to find out, could see the 12 months, is it from the end of May? That means starting from June, that means the 12 months will end, it will be starting from June and then end maybe next year in May. So if it is like that, I will request that the SG or the, and the department can come back and give us a full report or the full details of the steps, because I can see that there are things that are not done. As you can see that Western Cape is also not done. So I also want to check on the issue of Western Cape, the 24% that is untouched in the Western Cape, that are they going to be, is it proper or on the analysis that they are going to finish on the 31st of May? Is it going to be truly finished on the 31, on the 31 May or is there, are there any challenges that have, are they going to be made that maybe they extend not to finish on 31 May so far? The other thing that I want to check is that what are the lessons learned on the challenges that they were experiencing in the census 2022 as it was the first, the, the, is the first census that they're using this kind of the model. 
So on the NDP, I just want to emphasize on the question that was asked by Honorable Umamkib to the issue of the, will the government be able to meet the target of the NDP on 2030 vision? So if it will be, it seems as if it will be a follow-up question that if it is not going to be met, how can we successfully implement the NTP to be achieved if there are any challenges? So that how can we do that so that we achieve this NTP 2030 vision? The other question is that, is there any linkage between the NTP, the National Special Development Framework, the African Union Agenda 2063 and the Sustainable Development? I thank you, Chair. I now invite Honorable Manel. Honorable Manelli, you can take the floor. Thank you, Chair. Uh, and also greetings to, to the members, the DM and everybody in the meeting. Uh, Chair, I think I'm gonna be very brief in my questions as I believe that most of the matters that I wanted to speak on are already covered too by different speakers that spoke on the platform. But as a matter of emphasis, I would like to speak on the issue of the, the online counting. Because it's raised that only a certain number, about 69,000, has responded to that. And I believe that we are really living in a, in a digital world. Maybe also we need to be told as to, do they believe that the, the marketing methods that they employed in ensuring that everybody was able to be counted online, was made aware of all. And then my other problem share also with the fact that uh, the report has also indicated of the NDP, the poverty lines and the inequality rates in, in South Africa. So it gets so disappointing to find that out of 149,000 vacancies that were there, only 89 uh, could be filled. Uh, what could have been the, the challenges there? Because I believe that most people are really unemployed in South Africa and would have really grabbed the opportunity of having that, that contract that would have made a difference even if, it's, even if it was for the, for the few months. Were they able to go to the, these areas where people are really eager and desperate for employment or they relied on other methods as well. Chair, I think coming to the issue of, of, of Western Cape and the delay in the completion of Western Cape, and also the presenter has also said that in some areas it was very difficult, but in some that it was very smooth running, like in your rural areas, people would not be very fussy as to who is counting them, but they were receptive of everybody. Could the non-corporations of a certain class in, in, in Western Cape have led to the delay that we see that the States SA could not complete on, on, on the prescribed time or they expected a different type of people to come or were they only allowing certain people to come into their households or? Chair, coming to the, to the NDP, I think they've already indicated that there's a slow progress 
in achievement on their goals. And amongst their challenges, Chair, they cited that uh, there's institutional instability, coordination, and, and other matters. But Chair, on, on, on how they intend to address this, this, they're only saying that they need focused attention. Can they be more elaborate on how are they going to focus their, their attention? Those will be my questions for now. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. I now invite Stats SA to respond to the questions. Chair, you forget me. It's because you are out now here on the system here. I'm always checking the system. Your hand is not up. Because you have okay. noted me. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the, the, the opportunity you can ask your questions. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chair, once more. Let me, Chair, welcome and uh, first of all greet uh, members of parliament, the department, and the officials uh, in this committee. And Chair, let me also once more welcome the present both presentations. However, Chair, have you noted on the presentation that uh, we still have an unequal society? I, I, I really accede to that because what we are seeing in the Western Cape by virtue of certain class uh, refusing to be, uh, refusing their data to be taken by some, uh, some people really gives us a very serious problem and that needs to be taken note of. And uh, given that fact that there were certain, there were certain class that refused uh, people, uh, our data uh, collectors access to their farms. And this is not a new challenge, by the way. And what has been the interventions in that regard? Because that this is in one way or the other, one of the factors that derailed the completion of the state's SA. And uh, equally to the, the next one would then be, uh, we are aware that there were more than 650 data capturers, data collectors that were taken out of Limpopo to the Western Cape and who have not even been yet paid, most of them, and would equally want to know whether those people were, 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 were given, like the, given the transport and the, 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 the area that they would have to work to. What, were, what, what was given to them as compared to those that those are at the Western Cape? And Che, I want to raise this and I'm very disappointed with the information given by the State SA because we have been in constant engagement with them, especially by virtue of us having complaints through our EFF labor desk to say people are not paid People and those people who are not paid, most of them, they are breadwinners. Some of them, are, are their families are really depending on them. And day in and day out, when we have been engaging with SSA, we are told that the matter has been attended to. Those people would either be paid on that day or in that week. To date, we are still hearing the same uh, revelation, Uguti. Those people will be paid. Some of them are paid today. Some of them are going to be paid next week. Some of them are going to be paid a, a, a month end, which is, 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 is really 
not not convincing because we have engaged with the states as a, it's more than two months now that we have been consistently engaging with them. And chairperson, the issue of bank accounts, it cannot be an excuse today from the SSA to say some people were not were, uh, do not have bank accounts. They should have detected that as, as soon as they have uh, recruited those people. Have, could they have paid those people in time? Could they have taken their work serious? Because like we are saying, you cannot at the end of the fifth month tell us that the, the people's bank accounts are an issue. It, it is neither here nor there, Chair, but be it as it may. So one may, may also ask, because they are targeting the end of May to have finished their, their data collection. Uh, I just want to ask here whether Stats SA can ascertain this to us, are they going to be able by then? And finally, on Stats SA, can Stats SA confirm? Because uh, uh, there are allegations that uh, there was there were private securities and subs uh, deployed to assist in guiding the data collectors. Uh, if that is, if the SSA can confirm that, can they also indicate as to at what cost was that? And moving to the DPME chair, thank you very much once more. I, I just want to to raise this and uh, maybe to get it from the department itself. Oguti. It, it will uh, will your NDP really yield any fruits at the anticipated time? Because with the given time frame, with the distance that we have we have travelled with the NDP, we doubt that it is going to yield any fruits. But maybe they can uh, give us the benefit of the doubt. And chair, uh, does the department and uh, the DPME really have capacity? Because the the country has lost. A, a trust, and it is eventually that trust is, is is eventually fading away, especially when we see them losing the fight against this unemployment rate. Maybe if they can take us into confidence, would, are they really up to task? Do they have the capacity to do so? And if if yes, they should indicate to us why. Except this, because every day, day in and day out. We're hearing, uh, 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 the, the, and which we acknowledge that COVID-19 has impacted most badly on us and the state and everything. But we are losing the battle against unemployment. And this was not only, uh, 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 this uh, fight was not only lost during the pandemic, but even be, before the pandemic. So maybe if they can take us into consider uh, into confidence thus. But the, uh, lastly, Chair, the monitoring of the head of departments by the DPME is very minimal. I'm telling you now, but maybe they can prove to us that it is not minimal. Hence, we have got so many challenges. Maybe if the DPME can, t- can tell us what their ethics, what is it that they are doing to, re- to, 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 to maybe reinforce their monitoring uh, 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 into the heads of departments because it is done as if uh, everyone is doing as he pleases. We don't have consequence management, and and really as well. I think we are steady but surely losing this battle. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honourable Komane. Um, can the state SA take the floor and respond to all? There are questions. 
and then the the planning commission will come thereafter. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you indeed, Chairperson. I have moved the office uh, to another office in the building. Uh, let me say that uh, I will uh, ask three colleagues, uh, that is Calvin Mulungwana, who will talk on the operations, on publicity, Ashwell Jineka, on the issue of uh, payments. Uh, uh, I will uh, ask uh, uh, Bruce Uostad to come and comment. Then I will uh, deal with the rest of the questions, Chair. Uh, especially, particularly issues of the Western Cape, I will deal with them. So let me allow the three colleagues to come in quick order, Chairperson. Alvin, you start followed by Ashwell, followed by Bruce. Uh, th thank you, thank you, Chairperson um, and, and uh, SG. Maybe just to uh, start with the uh, last question. Uh, in relation to members of SAPS that have been um, rather providing uh, support to the field staff. Uh, indeed, like any um, national project, what happens is um, we, 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 we normally present our plans at the net jobs. Um, and uh, in that incident, we also provide um, what we have noted as possible challenges. But of course, through um, the monitoring uh, of security issues in the country, they also then bring on board areas that are of concern where we need to have quite uh, uh, heightened security. And of course, they cascade the information through the prof jocks, where then our provincial leadership um, instead of say would also on a continuous basis meet uh, with the provincial uh, uh, um, uh, security clusters and share on a continuous basis um, areas of concerns uh, which inhibit us uh, in doing the work. Um, and I think in the Western Cape, um, what also then transpired, um, because there was quite a number of um, increased non-responses, um, uh, what they call um, uh, community safety um, in a form of um, security companies uh, that oversee certain um, affluent areas uh, were then uh, robbed in uh, to assist us in giving members of the public rather comfort that these are legit individuals uh, that are really employed by State say And those initiatives in the Western Cape, I think, came after the engagements we had with the provincial cabinet uh, in that regard. Uh, I also thought I'd need to also to talk to the issue of connectivity. Indeed, um, when we started, we had uh, some uh, challenges technically. Um, and in the main was um, when we looked, if we I may take members through the process uh, that we uh, had put in place for, uh, in particular, uh, the web-based collection was that household members needed to register uh, their um, households. 
um, and then they then received um, a, a one-time PIN, which then uh, also then allowed them to then get a link uh, for the enumeration. When we were looking at the numbers uh, of households that had registered, um, we actually did not envisage um, that there would be technical glitches uh, because we had actually, uh, in addition to just our normal connectivity, had our disaster uh, site ready to can kick in. Uh, if there was unavailability of the site. But one of the limitations that we had in that regard is the fact that um, our domain uh, was um, through CETA, dot gov dot za which that by itself has got a limitation um in the uh, 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 interactions that we could have um despite us having created uh, redundancy in our system um we really found that it was quite a serious inhibitor and i think for future um one of the things that we have to look into is changing that domain so that then we are not limited uh, to the uh, but hence, even after we experienced technical challenges, even on our car, and we then moved to the cloud, um, all our services then in that regard were then resolved. But we could not migrate um, uh, the Kawi um, line uh, because it had the .gov at uh, .za. Uh, but hence, since we migrated into the cloud, we have then seen, uh, seen stability uh, of our systems across the board and I think we had 20% utilization um, in that regard uh, so we never then experienced further challenges in that regard and I think in future um, I think for also the Kawi to be uh, fully utilized uh, it also has to be migrated into the cloud and therefore not be limited uh, to go through CETA with the uh, .gov.za. I would also want to add um, maybe a uh, chairperson that um, uh, indeed um, there was continuous uh, rather monitoring of the activities in all provinces and when we started um, uh, we saw three major provinces uh, struggling a bit um, and those were uh, Western Cape, KwaZulu-Natal as well as uh, Gauteng um, and then there were interventions that then were put in place which assisted to turn the situation around, uh, both in KZN and in West, sorry, in KZN and in Gauteng. It is Western Cape that still became very, very um, difficult to wrestle, um, even with the interventions that have been provided in that regard. Hence, when then the other provinces were concluding, um, we then looked at how best can we try and turn the situation around by at least bringing experienced individuals who have actually been trained um, to then immediately hit the ground running and start giving us an improved coverage. I must emphasize that even before we did that, we went back to um, our recruitment database, which, which showed that we had over eight, 18,000 applicants around um, our, uh, I would say, township areas, Langa, uh, Kailisha, and the like.
And then we then sent SMSs once more to those applicants to check their availability to can still further take the work at Stetsese. As much as we got then a response which was positive, I think around 1,200 had said they were available. When we then called to give them the location where they need to come and collect the gadgets so that then they could then be trained, only above 200 did pitch up. Uh, for that kind of training. So that's hence the decision was then taken to say for the provinces that have already wrapped up, which was Limpopo, I think Bumalanga, as well as Free State, then the top performers were then um, um, uh, dispatched to then um, beef up the team in the Western Cape to actually uh, improve the coverage as we were training the other 200 um, uh, that were then available from uh, the Western Cape. However, that kind of deployment was uh, temporarily, they were only deployed for two weeks as we're hoping then to uh, see further improvements uh, in the collections or rather the number of field staff uh, to be brought on board. I would posit that, uh, Chairperson, over to you, SG. Well, thanks. thanks, Chair. Are, are, are all the, are, are the uh, SA questions res, uh, responded to? No, no, uh, Chair, I'm going to speak about... Of your now, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let me talk about publicity and difficult to reach people. So in total, we've spent uh, to date $150 million on on publicity throughout the country. We've budgeted 200 million, so some of these we'll use to pay outstanding invoices as well as the PES to, to, to have proper publicity in place. So the question could be, was 200 million enough for publicity? I mean, looking at the challenges that we've got, um, looking that, considering that you're doing this in a total different environment from previous censuses, and in hindsight, probably 200 million was not enough. Maybe we should have considered 400 or maybe even 600 million. Be that as it may, uh, this is how much we've spent to date. Uh, let's talk about the difficult to reach area. So yes, we know we know exactly who are the difficult to reach. The high walled are difficult to reach. Farmers are difficult to reach. Uh, children zero to one. Families forget about children zero to one, so we normally miss them. And then you've got single males. Single males who live on their own it's very difficult to reach those. So for each of these, you've, you've got a strategy in place. So when it comes to the high-walled areas, you go to the, to the gatekeepers, and there's a gatekeeper database right throughout South Africa. So you contact those, you, you make arrangements, you send them emails, you leave uh, pamphlets there to, to try to get uh, the high-walled areas to... to, to to contribute. For farmers, we've got a farmer protocol in place where farmers say only so many people can come and they must be in a car and uh, there must be arrangements with the local police station. So you try to adhere to those um, protocols and normally farmers do respond to that. Um, and it's uh, it be, the Western Cape situation is still uh, unlikely or, or not what we used to. It's still, still not what we what we find. Um, in terms of ongoing um, publicity now, what we've done is to sort of work with the Premier and the Western Cape and his government, and uh, they are also spending money now on publicity. 
The premier is on the radio every day. Uh, they take out ads. The mayors are speaking to all the people in their provinces. And we do see a turnaround in terms of the uh, people's uh, uh, wanting to open their doors. So I think the learning from that is one will have to partner with um, with the uh, provincial governments and, and, and premiers in the provinces sooner in the process rather than, 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 than later on the process. Just before Bruce talks about the payment, I want to give members a sense of, of, of what we're talking about when we're talking about payments and how many people are there. So you've got 150,000 people throughout the country. The first layer, about 100,000, is unemployed matriculants. The supervisors above them is about 20,000 also unemployed matriculants. The layer above that is what we call fieldwork uh, operations officers. They also unemployed matriculants with a driver's license. So those 5,000 consist of that. And then above that, you've then got stats as a personal uh, personnel in place who then manages those, uh, those three layers. And just to give you a sense of what then happens. So people come to training for 10 days. And they join and you explain how this is going to work. Uh, some of them leave immediately. They say, mm -mm, I thought it was like the IEC where you sit at schools. Uh -uh, I'm not going to households. So they leave. And now you've got those 100,000 at the bottom who you need to track, keep track of. Have they stayed? Have they left? And you need to make sure that that message goes throughout the ranks. Then you find people finishing training and they start working. Some of them work for two days and then they say, no, this is too dangerous. I'm leaving now. And some of them informs us, some of them doesn't inform us. Now we need to keep track of the devices, who switches on the device, who doesn't switch on the device. So you've got something like a register where people come in, they go out. As soon as the process is finished, you then start a new cycle. So when we uh, extend it for the first time, you start a new cycle of people coming from the first round going to the second round. Be that as it may, Chair, I want to explain to members that we have paid many people. We've paid 260,000 more than that. This is the most people we've ever paid in any census before this. Normally, we've just got about 100,000. They work one cycle and you pay them and they're out of the cycle. This time around, the way the, the country is at the moment, you don't just have one cycle. You've got people moving from cycle to cycle. But no one else is responsible for this. This is our responsibility. So we're working, we're working in the Western Cape every day. We go out and we still come. And we're making other arrangements in the Western Cape. We've contacted Vodacom and MTN to ask them if they can send out notices to those supplier databases. We've also got GovChat, who's got three, three million three to four million subscribers in the Western Cape. We've sent that, we've sent messages. Um, and uh, we are finding that people are now participating. One thing that we've also learned, Chair, is that you can't just send one message. People don't respond to that. You need to very often send out messages to remind people. You also need to send those messages in certain times to get people to respond to the online. So online is not just a matter of you asking people and they will respond. You have to remind them on an ongoing basis, and, and then you might find some responses. Uh, let me stop on publicity there, Chair, and I'll hand over to Bruce on payments. Good morning, members. 
afternoon now it's 12 o'clock yes Ashwell has nicely outlined the 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 background to all the field workers that we have and just to just to give an idea when we started with the census planning processes we had the HR database the recruitment database opened in May of 2021 and that was a, a project aligned with the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator um, organization through the presidency to actually access their 1.5 million youth that they have on their database. So besides Stats SA's database, Harambe advertised the recruitment drive on their 1.5 million um, subscribers. So that moved right up until November. We were going to close the recruitment database then. It was extended up until January. And where we had, where we became aware of system challenges, um, those were then resolved with the service provider and people had the opportunity to actually ensure that they're on the database. Ash will outline the recruitment, the, the training processes. After that, once people were successful and they passed a, a test, they were then um, recruited and all the information that needed to, to provide and upload onto Purcell would then be provided. So this would say take would have taken place, say, early February. So we have banking details, we have everything. Then when payments start, and, and, as, and as was indicated, we had about three, we have about four to five payment cycles. And then after every payment cycle, you'd obviously have certain um, um, queries coming from short payments or non-payments. And those have been dealt with as we moved along. And as the honorable members have indicated, they were um, where field workers were unhappy with, with um, the delays in the payments. They rightfully then sought um, stakeholders that would, would fight their cause for them. And, and we've listened and we've, we've currently now, we're only sitting about not more than 11,000 um, short payments or, or non-payments, and we are busy dealing with that in the form of a, of a, of, of a task team. So we are whittling down all, the, all the, the queries, and that is the, obviously the commitment we are, we are giving to, to members here today, that by the 27th of May next week, the undertaking we gave is that all the outstanding payments will be in field workers' bank accounts by then. Now, the Lapopo group and, and, and everyone else that worked up until the end of April, those payments will also be part of, of, of this um, process that we're doing to conclude by the 27th of May. Just to also talk um, quickly is that the, the lessons learned from previous censuses and now, the biggest challenge we were anticipating was a concern over the rate of pay. We had engaged presidency because previously when, when, when census work started, there were strikes over, over salaries and that was not, nothing like that happened during the census. Everyone was comfortable with the rate of pay for field workers and field work supervisors. And it was the, the glitches surrounding the payments that, that have caused the most frustration with this project. So just to give an indication also, we're using the personal system and what has happened is that we also advertise as a backup for a service provider to, to do online banking um, sort of processes because as a government department, we cannot do online banking. And that would have then facilitated fast tracking where there were 
exceptions in terms of short payments or non-payments. But we had no um, no bids offered for that, and and it was basically non-responsive. And then we were we are doing all payments through Persil. The secure process of Persil provides obviously um, the tax processes are are, are are adequately and properly addressed in when paying on Persil. We're also busy with a um, having online. By latest 31 May, all the pay slips and the RP5s of the field workers, it will be a, a tool. field workers using their identity number will be able to access our website using their ID number and be able to, to draw their pay slips and, um, and RP5s. Because where tax has been deducted, um, they will be able to claim that from, from SARS when the tax season opens. Um, in terms of the of 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 why have people resigned and all of that, I, I think Ashwell covered that. But but also there were there were some field workers that were students, and with the extension of the of of these processes, they were then they had to go back to Varsity and then obviously only worked for the February period or even a shorter period. We also had people that had taken leave from the employers, and and then they had to revert back and some had new jobs. There are some abscondments and with such a large workforce, there are incidents of misconduct and challenges where field workers um, services had to be terminated um, right up the, the value chain that Ashwell um, outlined previously. They also, we also wish to highlight that all the queries that have been coming through, some are sincere and genuine and they need to be paid and we acknowledge that that shortcoming. But there are also field workers that have never worked who are trying to claim now. So we are busy, the STARS team is busy auditing every process to, to validate and verify that we are not paying people that have not worked. So in between, people have been paid in, and 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 we then highlight and provide the, the the payment details and then those queries are dealt with accordingly. The ones that are genuine and and um, need to be paid, we are busy, as I mentioned earlier, dealing with that. The um, I've covered most of the, then also we have a group, a small group. You would be, you'd have been appointed in February as a field worker. Your bank account was valid and verified through our, our processes, the personal processes. But then at the time we're paying you, the first payments went through in, in mid-March. We then got, and, and subsequent to that, we then get where, where, where the payment is made, but the bank returns the payment because the bank account has been closed. We've had in, over this period about 507 of which 179 field workers provided the new details and they could be paid because um, that follows a different process. But we're still sitting with about 328 field workers who have not claimed or provided their details. And all the provinces are in constant contact with these um, field workers to, to resuscitate their, their banking details. Chair, I think I've, I've, I've covered most of the questions. Thank you. Person, I'm coming in now to deal with the outstanding questions. Honorable McGlua raises the issue of uh, us, as uh, Stata say, not taking responsibility. 
let me mention that uh, we do take a responsibility. That is why on daily basis, we are monitoring the census. And as regards accountability, uh, it remains with the statistician general in terms of uh, uh, implementing the act. And uh, uh, certainly, certainly, let me assure members that uh, um, uh, uh, this statistician general remains accountable like any accounting officer. And indeed, uh, uh, we cannot deviate. We cannot, we cannot defer our responsibilities and our accountability. So I want to assure members of parliament that uh, uh, you always hold us accountable to matters of accountability. And we take these matters very, very serious, including input that we are getting here for further improvements. Uh, uh, let me say that the preparations for census 2022, uh, uh, the last census was conducted in 2021, I mean in 2011, and we started immediately thereafter. You start planning, uh, but you plan without a budget. As of 2018, we started to actively get into uh, uh, the work of uh, going forward with the census. As we do so, in terms of uh, getting with the work. Then there was COVID. Uh, two provinces, so there's a battery of tests that we go through. Uh, there are a lot of tests that we go through to decide on the method. Uh, and there was a question also as to whether, which method we'll use in the future. We cannot say upfront now which method we'll use in future because in the battery of tests that we'll use between now and census 2032, a prevailing method will tell. But as it is, uh, it was clear that the online uh, uh, method was not our method, our main method. It, has been, it had been shown in our iterative battery of tests that people prefer a face-to-face -face interview. And uh, that was our main method of collection. It's for that reason that uh, as we're planning the census, including during training, uh, most of which our training we had to stop during COVID-19, two provinces, for example, the Western Cape and KwaZulu-Natal, they could not go on the pilot test because at the time we're supposed to deploy our field workers to the field. These are the two provinces that were experiencing the highest levels of COVID-19 that they had a special dispensation led by their premiers. As regards relaxations and Honorable and Tuli raises this issue as well as uh, uh, Honorable Kibi in terms of COVID-19, we should remember that it's only in February when we were already in the field that uh, uh, people that are asymptotic according to regulations were no longer supposed to isolate and the isolation was reduced by the president to seven days, only when we were already in the field. And as of the 4th of April, when we were already in the field, that a decision was made that uh, in public we can no longer wear masks. But uh, uh, we uh, prepared for the census and went into field in the middle of COVID-19. Uh, the recent issue of uh, 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 DPME, that uh, DPME 
should be assisting states, SA in terms of monitoring and evaluation. Uh, the, the current statistics act that we were given by uh, uh, yourselves as members of parliament, which is the responsibility of the statistician general to implement, doesn't allow for an ongoing process to have interference in terms of monitoring. There are processes that we put in place. You have allowed us to have counsel that uh, advises the statistician general and the minister and the minister must have an arm's length relationship with the statistician general so that uh, uh, the council and status say can uh, responsibly discharge of the duties as you have given us in terms of the law. Uh, in terms of active participation of members of the public, uh, what is it that we can do? Uh, one of the things is that we have done everything and we continue to do everything, not even in the census, even in our sample surveys. Uh, one of the things we are uh, discovering, not only in South Africa, is that uh, sample surveys uh, continue to decline in terms of response rates all over the world. But particularly in South Africa, is that we are picking up an apathy in terms of public participation on anything. And I think if we watch successive elections in South Africa, we will see that coming out of 1994 to where we are now, uh, we are uh, uh, struggling with a lot of uh, participation on activities uh, in the public space. And uh, 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 Honorable um, um, Komane uh, asks the use of private security. I'll touch a bit. Calvin touched on that. When we arrive in a neighborhood, we work according to protocols. So where the police station, where we work with the police, we work with subs, but somewhere, especially in gated communities and high walls, they have their own security uh, uh, apparatus they've put in place. We don't just arrive, we do everything to work with whoever is the gatekeeper. Where we go to traditional areas, we work with traditional leaders, is Induna, local councillors, uh, civic leaders, a neighborhood watch, the farming communities are not our biggest challenge. They were a biggest challenge in census 1996 and a bit in 2001, but we have had a lot of good relations working with farming communities, even in our census of commercial agriculture, which we conducted and came back to report to yourselves as parliament when the results came out in 2018. Uh, our biggest challenges now are gated communities and high-walled areas. And even high-walled areas, even those who are literate to read and write, they don't readily take the online uh, uh, was that facility. It takes a lot of iterations to remind and to uh, go back to them again and again, knocking, leaving pamphlets, and sometimes being chased away. As regards the Western Cape, uh, we have worked with uh, the, the government of the Western Cape. Of course, uh, I went to see the premier and we met with the premier and all mayors and all the structures and all the, the stakeholders. One of the things that we agreed between premier and I, and we said in that meeting and we have reiterated in the media, is that the process of us working with the uh, government of the Western Cape and the leadership and all stakeholders is not a way of subverting uh, 
an independent statistical process uh, uh, to a, a government uh, in terms of uh, having an overbearing as such is because we need to work together to reach out to people that we cannot reach out on our own. And in this regard, uh, the Premier and I agreed that the independence of status say is very, very critical because any uh, a lack uh, thereof, perceived or otherwise, have long implications, not only for status say, but for the entire system of national statistics in the country, which includes uh, the revenue services, which includes the, uh, the Reserve Bank and other organs of state that form part of this rubric of the system of statistics. So Premier and I and other uh, stakeholders have agreed, as we have done and engaged with other leaders in the country, presidents, uh, former presidents, premiers, as well as uh, Amakosi and, and other people, we have maintained that independence while we work with them. But uh, the Western Cape has uh, presented to us something that we have never experienced previously. Of course, the Western Cape in census 2011 had the highest undercount, 18.5 or slightly above that, closer to 20%, uh, which uh, was the highest of all the provinces. So it is our responsibility to count everyone when you go into a census chairperson and, and, and honorable members is that uh, you want to count to have a hundred percent, but we know it uh, no country in the world. Uh, uh, the Americans went before COVID, the British went during COVID, they had the highest undercount they have never seen. Uh, on the continent, we are seeing other countries. We, are, uh, we, have, we have been working with them and outside field work will continue to work with other countries is that no country has, has ever had a, a hundred percent. In the COVID environment, it's even more challenging. That is why ourselves uh, amongst other nations have the post enumeration survey, which helps us to have an undercount. And once we know the undercount, uh, which gets independently assessed by council, not only the undercount, Ashwell spoke about uh, the, uh, we have experts who come in specific areas of fertility, people uh, under the age of five, the elderly environment, I mean, working environment and everything. Once we have specialists all over the world, uh, which council has, uh, has ready in place when we go into analysis, which will look at data attributes, and compare with the PES. And once we have that, we will know how to elevate or to come up with an estimate of the national population uh, of the country. So usually the undercount, which uh, when it is higher, we get worried, but uh, the higher it is, the more it tells us who we have missed. And also it tells us how we will adjust the population accordingly to get to come with an estimate. And that is uh, what a council will be looking at in terms of advising status say, but particularly the statistician general, so that we can protect the public, so that the statistician general doesn't release numbers. That is why council may release a statement to advise members of the public what are the cautionary measures we need to take when we look at data, as, uh, like they've done in every census. Uh, so that the statistician general doesn't come with this independence. This independence must has checks and balances in terms of the law that you have given us as parliament. 
and uh, the statistician general operates within that so that he doesn't come out and give out a figure that cannot stand the veracity of time. Once he comes out with a figure, it must stand the veracity of time. The Western Cape uh, particularly has posed uh, to us challenges that we have never seen before. Uh, uh, the white community doesn't want to be enumerated by colored and African blacks. The colored community doesn't want to be enumerated or to be counted by um, uh, Africans and, and, and whites. And, and the Africans, coloreds and, 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 and whites are afraid to go to uh, 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 black areas, uh, black African areas. And one of the biggest thing is that we have never seen this in any census before. So the Western Cape is currently presenting us with serious challenges that even go beyond state say that uh, the nation must address at another level. Having said so, we continue to trudge on and uh, uh, as of the 31st of May, we will have the Western Cape concluding. In the event, and of course, uh, uh, not even in the other provinces, we have had a 100% count. That is why we want the PS to tell us the undercount. But there will be no extension beyond the 31st of May, even in the Western Cape. We have to conclude because we have concluded uh, in the other provinces and we have other downstream processes that we need to take forward. As regards field workers that we sent in the Western Cape, we didn't send field workers only from uh, uh, Limpopo. Uh, uh, we have sent field workers from Limpopo, from Pumalanga, from the Free State, and we have done this even in previous censuses. When field workers are finished, or those who have finished in their areas or in their districts, especially your top performers and highly experienced, we deploy them all over the country to assist because when you are in the middle of an ongoing operation, to restart training doesn't work. You are wasting a lot of time. So you deploy as you move. It's like repairing. It's not even like repairing a car as you move. In this regard, in the COVID environment, we were repairing an aeroplane as we were flying. And I want to assure South Africans and indeed members of parliament that we are on top of the game on the census it wouldn't be called a census if it didn't have challenges. And we monitor them every day, including as we are talking now. We monitor them every day, every hour, particularly in the Western Cape. As we are talking now, we have what we call a, a Kawi on demand. And for the Western Cape, it's active. For other provinces, if people say they have been missed, we are because we are still open in the Western Cape, but we are not going full scale in the other provinces. But if people say they have been missed, we make sure that we give them a link and we get them counted because every count matters, Chairperson. Let me thank you. Uh, thank you very much. You have answered all your questions, uh, Stats SA, isn't it? Now, can we invite NPC? Thank you very much again, Chair. Um, luckily, we will also have the assistance of the two DDGs from the department DPME to answer on critical issues around DPME. Uh, so I will go straight to the issues that um, pertain to the NPC and as well as the National Development Plan. 
Uh, Honorable Gibi asks about the slide five on the weaknesses on the coordination that has led to the poor service delivery. This has been identified as part of the diagnostics in 2009 uh, towards the development of the plan itself. So we were raising them as some of the critical issues that have uh, arisen. And she also asked as to whether uh, what lacks in, in, in implementation that the state have capacity. One of the answers that one can provide is in the critical um, observations that have been made, even the current sixth administration has moved the capacity of the state to be priority number one. Uh, while if you look at it in, in the NDP is about chapter 13, but when we continue to do this work, we realize that uh, the catalytic approach to improving the livelihoods of the people is ensuring that there is critical institution building and building a capable state that should also be able to grow the economy in a manner that the livelihoods of the people can be changed. So in that manner, the, 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 the state would be playing it is its developmental as well as its um, transformative role. I would like to turn off the, yes. Um, I also think we, we will ask uh, Ms. Mastura to, to just talk on the issues of the poverty state as now, as well as the data. As I said, Mema uh, Homo and Didiji uh, Mashamba will speak to the issues of um, the DPME. And then we'll have Dr. Chuma that can speak to the critical issues in terms of dealing with the laws of war against employment in terms of the industries. And I would also like to ask the, D, the, the Commissioner Ramazete, who is currently working on the new strategy for the new, for the new planning commission to say, what does NPC plan uh, going forward? Which is one of the questions that we asked. Uh, venturing in some of the questions uh, so that I leave the questions for them. The critical issue of the alignment of the, of, of the plan to the other plans in the globe, uh, the SDGs and what lessons have we learned? I can attest that the, the, the NPC has, has, has developed in 2019 the first voluntary, the voluntary national report to the UN on the implementation of the SDGs. And in that report, it raises the very critical issues of, yes, there are successes, but there is still a lot of work to do going forward. And the main issues continue to be about going the whole of society and making sure that implementation of the development agenda in the country that should be able to help the country attain the goals of the SDGs is to ensure that it is about the whole of the country, it's about the whole of society, but of critical importance is the role of everybody, all partners should be able to play their role in the development agenda of the country. Same applies with the reports that we submit in every, second, every second February, of the year to the AU that gives the, the progress that the country has made in the implementation of Agenda 2063, which yes, is still aligned to the work of the implementation of the NDP. The other question that has been asked is about how do we, how are we, how have we been measuring the NDP uh, now that we say that we are going to use 159 indicators 
going forward. So when we look at the, the slide that has been presented is that the commission started to work on the implementation based on the actions that have been in the executive summary of the, of, of the plan. In that executive summary, there were 119 actions that the and, 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 and NPC was saying the country should pursue. And then in 2018, when that work was reviewed, the critical issues that arose was that these are actions. But then for us to be able to move beyond understanding the actions, then we need to be professional and pull out of the national development plan itself, the real things that need to be achieved so that then the three apex priorities can be achieved. So there is also that question that comes from um, Honorable uh, Gondwe in terms of what informs the 159 indicators. So beyond the 119 actions, we have the three apex priorities. The first MTSF had 14 outcomes, but all the 14 outcomes were based on the 15 chapters of the National Development Plan. So those outcomes are the basis or the objectives that the National Development Plan wants to attain. So we took those and made them the goals that need to be attained or the objectives. And then out of those, we moved to saying what are the indicators that are going to show and be measured on a yearly basis to allow us to move or to see as to whether we are attaining the goals, the targets, and the apex uh, priorities. So you have the three apex priorities, you have the 14 outcomes, you have the goals that are based on the chapters of the NDP, and then the indicators are uh, based on those. And how we came up with them in 2018, we sat down into a process that took a year and a half between DPME, different stakeholders, and working with the National Planning Commission to ensure that we have a set of indicators that has been agreed upon. That first set of indicators we approved and worked upon uh, by 2020. And then the first report that has been able to culminate based on the NDP review, the handover report, as well as the report on indicators has got the bearing on those 159 indicators. And we will continue to, to use those to continue to measure going forward. I think on the Honorable Manelli, the institutional instability focused attention, um, I think what becomes very clear is that because of the slow progress that we see, we also started to realize that institutional instability is also related to the fact that the country needs to organize itself in a manner that takes it in a trajectory to meet the objectives. That means when we talk about focused attention, we, we, we should be able to work as a country towards priorities and be able to say we are not going to implement and do everything and measure everything because the development agenda is complex. So let's find things that we will say in this year will be measured and we will be able to speak to them. So that prioritization and making trade-offs of what is it that gets to be focused upon instead of focusing on everything. For example, I'll make a few examples. In the economic environment, focus on infrastructure as 
uh, as, as a catalyst towards improvement in the in the economy. In the economic sector, we should also respond by the fact that we have seen the falling falling investments. And then in that manner, we start to have programs like ERRP, we have programs like Vulindlen. So those are some of the issues that have been taken on by government as part of the advice from the National Planning Commission to say, focus on a few, but also start to work on programs that are able to show results. Because when we measure everything on the, at, at, the, at the same time, you find that even where the needle has, has not moved, we are also starting to make it part of the progress. And then we are not able to focus and see where there is progress and where there is no progress. I would like also just to ask the, the Mastura to ask to answer on the poverty and then Dr. Chuma on the economy and Dr. Ramazetze on what do we think are the best ways for moving forward. And then I'll ask Mema Homo and uh, DDG Mashamba from DPME to assist on the questions that were particularly to the capacity of the department, but also on the role of the MTSF. Um, good afternoon, Chair and Honourable Members. So as uh, Dr. Masiteng has shown in her presentation, that uh, between uh, 2011 and 2015, we saw an increase in the rate of poverty in South Africa. Now, um, Dr. Masiteng uh, might also have mentioned that at the moment, we, we have a bit of a challenge in that um, we the last surveys that were undertaken was the living condition survey in 2015, and before that, the income and expenditure survey. So currently, we have a dearth of uh, survey data for us to actually uh, um, say what the current poverty rate is. Um, we do have some, uh, there, are, there are some people who've been mod doing some modeling work in this regard, but uh, some of the, the projected data we have is from the World Bank, where they had projected that the poverty rate in South Africa would be um, 60% in 2020, and that was before COVID, of course. So I think my colleagues from Stats SA could maybe also talk to um, their plans in terms of uh, um, the next income and expenditure survey that they will be undertaking um, after, after the census. Um, and, and, and I'd like to, to um, you know, for members to take note of the fact that, that you know, unless we have data, we really can't... Um, uh, um, accurately say, you know, some of the impact that 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 we have had in terms of some of the interventions, um, particularly one things around the the SRD um, uh, and and you know some of the interventions around um, the unemployment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so so the ch the challenge for us is that we know things have be have have uh, deteriorated, uh, uh, particularly with regards to the impact. Of COVID, but we, we, as I say, we don't have good data. Maybe just to say, you know, uh, Dr. Masiteng had um, in her presentation had said that in the social sector we have had, we've seen some improvements, and of course, some of those improvements um, they they they're not as fast as we as we'd like to to have seen them. And then, of course, with the impact of COVID, we would uh, again um, probably see that there would be some um, 
you know, that we've regressed on some of the indicators. <clears throat> in particular, if one thinks about in health, the life expectancy. Before COVID, we were on track to reach our target of uh, life expectancy of 70 years by 2030. But of course, now with the impact of COVID, we know that uh, we, we probably won't reach those targets. So thank you very much. Mr. Mashamba and Mahomu. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister, and thanks for the questions that have been raised. Um, we, we are going to deal with the questions um, regarding uh, the monitoring um, of DG's performance um, uh, assessment or heads of department. The question was that, um, firstly, th there was a direct question about what did the DPME do as a monitoring department once the South Africa experienced the challenges with the census? I think the SG has explained the framework right, that is set out in the Statistics Act regarding the monitoring and reporting of the census project. Um, the other question was that, um, a comment saying that monitoring of heads of department by the DPM is minimal. What is the DPM doing to reinforce the performance management of DGs? There is currently a process within the DPME and also in consultation with the Department of Public Service and Administration, DPSA, who are responsible for, for the policy to improve the system. Uh, and also to align, to enhance alignment of the DG's performance um, agreements with those of the ministers. So um, what one would recommend for this one is that if chair, we are allowed to provide uh, through the minister, the DM, if we are allowed to provide a written response on, on this issue, um, then I will go to um, the other question by Honorable Kibi around was there an analysis of what uh, targets were affected um, due to the COVID-19 and what are the critical targets um, a, for the reviewed uh, MTSF? We'll answer it in this way that um, a, there were analysis indeed on how COVID-19 um, affected or impacted on the economy, uh, the health system uh, in the society and of course on the programs of government. Uh, and the conclusion is that programs of government were affected in a big way. The lockdown had major knock-on effect on any, everything you can think of. Hence, the revision, a decision to revise the MTSF. Um, the, the, the overall response of government um, I, I comprised a number of things. The major components of it, the supplementary budget tabled by the Minister of Finance in June 2020, which um, facilitated reprioritization of budgets across government. Um, I, and the second one was the Economic Recovery, um, uh, Construction Recovery Plan, ERP, which the president announced on, in October 2020, which sought to restore economic activity and return the economy to, to growth and employment. Then the third element um, is the vaccination program, the major program ever of vaccination in the country taken. 
uh, that was also implemented. And the, of course, the revision of MTSF encompassed aspects of these other elements that I've mentioned here. Uh, and within the overall response of government uh, on the priorities, um, um, honorable members would recall the expansion of the social safety nets, uh, the topping up of the social um, uh, grants and the introduction of the SRT grant, the TARS, Temporary Employer Employee Relief Schemes, and other relief that went to, to businesses and government. Those were part of the immediate relief on the, on the, on the uh, interventions on COVID. But on the other end, there is an um, economic recovery plan uh, interventions that are being implemented now. So that's how one can summarize the key targets uh, uh, arising from the revised MTSF. Thank you. On, on this one, we can also provide, uh, if Chair would agree, and through the DM, uh, a, a written response. Thank you. Okay. Have all the department responded? Or is, uh, I see Goffrey's, uh, the mic is on. Is it your turn now, Goffrey? I think he has just made the uh, the submission and inputs from DPME. Then I think the last two can be just from the last questions from the NPC, Dr. Chuma, on the, the war against um, employment and the industries and how should we practically make it happen. And uh, Dr. Ramazete on the how does NPC uh, advise the country going forward. Thank you. Thank you. They can take the floor immediately. Um, good afternoon, uh, Chairperson and, and honorable members. Uh, with, with, with regard to the question around how can we make uh, agriculture more attractive uh, to the youth, uh, it's around promoting agriculture in, in schools. So you can have young people becoming as, as role models or champions, you know, to, to other aspiring young farmers. Um, we, we, we need to communicate uh, positive perspectives around the agriculture sector as, as a career. And we, 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 we encourage uh, a shift from subsistence farming uh, to, 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 to business whereby um, uh, young people can see a future in, in agri-food um, agri uh, value chains. Uh, then the, there was a question around um, how do we deal with, with issues of unemployment? Um, it, it's around uh, ensuring that there is uh, support on employment generating uh, industries. Uh, so industries like your clothing, textiles, uh, furniture, man, uh, um, furniture manufacturing, uh, your agricultural sector, just to mention, just to to, to mention a few. So you, you would want also to deepen investment in, in, in human resource development through uh, promoting a basic education and post-schooling and, and education to make it easier for, 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 
young graduates transition from, from, from school in, into employment. And also to ensure that if, if, if the private sector and, and, and academic institutions could, could come together and relook at the curriculum uh, that's being offered to ensure that uh, the, the graduates that come from uh, TVET colleges or from universities can e easily be absorbed by, by, by a job market. So you'll want also your industrial policy uh, to become more employment oriented and, 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 and support as well as supporting employment uh, generating uh, industries, promote trade diversification, uh, promote SMME dynamism. So as a country in the last couple of years, we have seen that uh, manufacturing sector is, is, is left behind. Um, in terms of uh, contribution to cross value added or to economic growth, we have seen the service, level, the service sector that is dominated. You have industry uh, subsectors like your transport and trade that are, are, are being dominating, which is contrary to, to how other um, emerging market economies have, have industrialized. If you look at your, your China, Taiwan, your Vietnam, uh, they, 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 they used industrial, industrial uh, approach as a way of, 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 of advancing. So they, we need to ensure that we, we promote uh, the manufacturing sector. It, it could be a way of ensuring that capacity within, within productive capacity in the manufacturing sector is improved. There is, there, 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 there is issues of research and innovation that, that needs to be improved. Uh, deal with issues of concentration in some of these sectors. Because new entrants or SMMEs, they struggle to, to enter into, into, into these industries or the value chains that, 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 that already exist. So if you, you allow new entrants to come into the market, you are increasing competition and you are allowing existing firms to become more innovative. And as they become more innovative, there is competition. Ultimately, the consumers, they, they get goods at a cheaper or affordable price. Also, as a country, we need to relocate how can we benefit from the African uh, continental free trade agreement and regional integration that exists. It, it, it creates opportunities from our manufacturing sector. It could be the automotive sector or capital equipment goods that can be um, exported within, within the continent. So in terms of our exports, we have struggled also to diversify them. Uh, we have got exports that are um, uh, uh, in the main extractive or uh, primary products that we, that, that we export. So we, we need to relook at, at, at some of those, whether we can't divert, um, uh, benefit some of, some of our products, selected uh, products to ensure that we could export semi-finished or finished products um, in some of, some of these countries. So we, we are not only expected to rely on the traditional um, export markets, but we need to identify other 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 avenues where we can we can we can export our, our our products. So there was a question. I think it was around uh, trust within communities. I think it's around issues of accountability, transparency, and service delivery. Then we'll be able to build trust uh, with, with with various stakeholders within community. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Who's next? Last one is Commissioner Ramazete on the advice to the country going forward. Okay. Uh, good day, Chair. Good day, uh, members. Good day, colleagues. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm speaking on behalf of 
the members of the third National Planning Commission. So my name is Ramazetes, I've been introduced. So I just want to speak about, in terms of the progress or some of the things that we actually plan going forward as the third NPC. So I think as we have heard from the previous presentation on the number of things that have been done by the two previous National Planning Commissions. So we, are, we took that work that has been done. So we came up with our own strategy to see how we can actually contribute towards the implementation of the National Development Plan. So as a commission, we agreed that we are going to operate in a manner where we are developed into work streams. So these work streams, they focus mainly on economy, social, as well as governance. So meaning that we're able to look into the chapters that are there in the National Development Plan and see how we can fit, it, fit them into the existing work streams so that every aspect of the National Development is addressed and there's no issue that is left behind. So those are some of the things that we have done. And earlier this year, we engaged in the annual Lepotla, where we set and discussed the strategy of how to turn around some of the things that have been mentioned. As we have heard from the other uh, colleagues to say, there's a slow progress in terms of NDP uh, implementation. So we sat down as a commission to see how we can come up with a strategy that can actually ensure that we come back on track in terms of the targets that have been set in that national development plan. So in this uh, strategy, we focus mainly on, or we're guided by the mandate that was given to us by the president, as mentioned in the green paper as well. So based on that, we came up with, uh, we actually strategize on the legacy that we want to leave as a commission to say, what, are, what do we want to be remembered for? As you remember, Chair, to say the first National Planning Commission had a huge task in terms of coming up with the NDP itself. While the second National Planning Commission task was more about ensuring that there is an implementation framework on ground. And also the review that they've done, it also assisted us in terms of knowing where we are and the things that we can actually do to get back on track. So based on that, we're able to come up with that legacy and some of the expectations for us as a commission in the next five years. And also based on that, we also came up with changes that are required to achieve some of the outcomes and the strategic initiatives that we've set. And also we focus mainly on what is happening currently, what is the current situations in terms of poverty, also in terms of benchmarking with the other existing commissions around the world. So based on that, we're able to come up with a sort analysis of what's happening, what are some of the strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, and threats going forward. And that also assists us in terms of knowing where to put more emphasis on in terms of ensuring that we still meet the targets that we set. So we also may, uh, address, uh, talk about addressing the issue of engaging more with society. As we have seen previously, we have engaged on a number of media briefings where we communicated to say the NDP is still there, is still a country plan, and we all need to rally behind that. So we also showed our presence as an NPC to say we are still also there, ensuring that we, we weigh all these 
uh, issues and we come up with solutions that will assist the government to ensure that we meet those targets. We also emphasize on the issue of institutional planning to ensure that the culture of planning is the, at the center of all these levels of government, including national, provincial, and local. And based on that, we also uh, ensure that within our strategy, we also talk about the monitoring and evaluation. How are we going to ensure that we meet or we actually live to up to the expectations of what we are here for as a commission? So hence, the monitoring part and the accountability part of the whole process was also essential to be part of the strategy that we plan as a commission. So those are some of the things that we are doing as a commission. And currently, some of my colleagues, they are attending a workshop on futuristic thinking, scenario planning, where we can actually take some of these uh, figures that we have currently and able to forecast to say in the next 10 years, this is what we are expecting in the next 15, 20 years. So our plan is actually to look even beyond 2030 to also see what is South Africa beyond 2030. Also looking at the issues that have been raised around migration. As you all know, migration is a very critical issue. How people migrate within the country. People tend to migrate towards the cities. Cities like Pretoria, Johannesburg, Cape Town, they are more populated. So how do we ensure that these programs that have been set uh, or they have been put forward by government touch every members of the society. Those are some of the things that we as the third National Planning Commission we are actually looking at and addressing. Uh, thank you very much for these opportunities, Chair. Thank you very much, Chair. Those are the answers from the National Planning Commission. The only remaining question was uh, on the issue of um, silos and uh, weakness of coordination and as to whether the integrated national planning bill is uh, aimed at dealing with such issues of coordination, one would like to say, yes, uh, we are hoping that one of the things that that bill is going to address is to ensure that we move into long-term planning for the country, across the country, intergovernmental uh, relations and how we plan dealing with silos and fragmentation in planning, but ultimately to give permanence to the national planning uh, and national development as a, a methodology of dealing with development in the country, including the, um, the legal framework to ensure that we have a permanence to a national development plan as a long-term plan, as well as the National Planning Commission and part of the work that we do with the department on the medium-term planning as well as short-term planning as the building blocks of a long-term planning framework for the country. Thank you very much. Honorable members, uh, we are suggesting that we defer the adoption of the oversight report and the adoption of the minutes of the previous meeting to the next meeting. Because there are a number of areas that must still be worked on in those two sets of documents. Therefore, we 
we have now come to the end of the meeting. Thank you very much to all of you. The meeting now stands adjourned. Amanda Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. 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 Thank you.